Mason, I think the folks need no, to uh, know something. Hey, I think the folks need to know something. And I, for some reason, closed my notes. Okay, there they are. Um, I asked for your help this week picking out the parody song. True? Uh-huh. Yes, not the first time, but you did ask this week. I did. And you gave me three suggestions. Do you know what they are? Mm-hmm. Off the top of your I haven't written down if you don't remember, but do you remember what they are? I know one was, uh, you don't know how it feels by uh, Tom Petty. I cannot remember the other two. You don't know how it feels by Tom Petty oh, was the first Iron suggestion. Man. Iron Man by Black Sabbath. Yes. What was the third? Third um, was Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. That was the third okay. suggestion. Sure. Okay. Okay. And Mason, those were some really good suggestions, but mm-hmm. I did not do a single one. <laughs> I did not do a single one of them. Uh, good with me. Because... I actually can't believe I haven't done this one yet. So, okay, you ready to have some? You ready, you ready to have a little fun this morning, or I guess this afternoon for you, but this morning for me. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, what? Okay. Stewie's mom has got it going on. Stewie's mom. Has got it going on. Stewie's mom has got it going on. Stewie's mom has got it going on. Stewie, can I come over to see your mommy? See your mommy. When I lay eyes on her, my hormones rage like a tsunami. Tsunami. Do you know if she showers around this time? Around this time. I can help her dry off. Show me where that's a motherfucking crime. Fucking crime. And I haven't done a Family Guy parody song recent. But I've got three episodes left and I'm done with being decent. Stewie's mom has got it going on. She's freaking sweet, makes me shoot ropes in the john. Stewie, can't you see? Your mom does something to my pee-pee. I know it's what the deuce, but Lois makes me squirt that juice. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Stewie, tell me, does she like... Roses or tulips, roses or tulips. I'd give her a bouquet and maybe she'd give me a little kiss, little kiss. I can tell that she wishes I was her husband, her husband. After a while, I know you would absolutely be accustomed. I'm your new dad. Angie, I know that you think I'm fucking old as dust, but Peter sucks, Quagmire's weird, and Lois makes me bust. Stewie's mom has got it going on. She's freaking sweet, makes me shoot ropes in the john. Stewie, can't you see your mom does something to my pee-pee? I know it's what the deuce, but Lois makes me squirt that juice. Oh, mama, to reflect on what's going to happen so far before we get back into the finale. I don't know I'm this. loving everything that's happening right now. That's good. Here we go. Stewie's mom has got it going on. She's freaking sweet, makes me shoot ropes in the john. 
Stewie, can't you see your mom does something to my pee-pee? I know it's what the deuce. Lois makes me squirt that juice. Oh, Stewie's mom giggity. Stewie, can't you see your mom does something to my pee-pee? I know it's what the deuce, but Lois makes me squirt that juice. I can't believe we never you never did that on on the show before. Not even when we actually covered the album that that song is on. I know. It actually was like a revelation because I truly didn't know did not know this week maybe the most I've ever not known before. There's there's a couple mm. weeks where I've really left it to like you know, just what have I been listening to on Spotify recently like sure. you know yeah. like what 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 can I feasibly throw together? But then it mm-hmm. hit me, brother. It just it hit me like a fucking ton of feathers, which weighs the same as a ton of bricks. Wait, what? A ton of feathers weighs the same as a ton of bricks. Okay, now next you're going to be telling me that, like, if I have a glass that's this big and I fill it with water and I put it in my water bottle, that, like, this is going to have, like... Uh, you know, this this smaller glass is going to have the same amount of water as it's in in the bigger glass there. You know, which I I know is not true. Well, I won't tell you it then. I don't want you to. I don't okay. want you to wrap your little mind around something like that and be preoccupied for the rest of this damn show. But but it hit yeah. me this week because we do have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we un- we we actually do have a lot to talk about this week because I stacked I stacked the deck myself mm-hmm. again this week. This is week two of Noah Jam, or this is, I guess, Noah Jam's volume two. I should say, mm-hmm. second week in a row that we're doing this little, this little thing. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> this is that the noise you make every time you have a Red Robin, uh, a Red Robin <laughs> burger? <laughs> it's, it's the noise I make every, the noise I make when I'm getting the erection. <laughs> it's the noise, yeah. not when I'm fully hard or about to come, but as my penis is becoming hard, I just go. <laughs> did, I, did I ever share with you my um, maybe my favorite um, uh, line of of just writing in any book I've ever read stuck with has stuck with me like glue when I first read it and then um, has stuck with me for years afterwards. Yeah, wasn't it one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, right? <laughs> You've told me that. Would you could you with a mouse? Would you could you in your house? In a house, yeah. <laughs> And I love those ones too. <laughs> I love those ones too. No, what is it though? No, what is it? It's from uh, very quickly. It's from the Thomas Harris book Red Dragon, and it's when uh, it's a scene where Francis Dollarhide. It, it's early in the book. It's right when you're meeting Francis Dollarhide, and he is doing some. I think I can't remember exactly, but he's like looking over like maybe some of his some like old crime that he did as the Red Dragon, uh, and he is uh, his his uh, he's his little penis is getting hard. He's getting erect, and uh, nice. Thomas Harris describes that action as he has an erection which he improves with his hand whoa i mean that is cool (laughs) you know i don't know why but when i read that book as like a sophomore or junior in college like that summer i was just like it's like oh like that that's okay thomas like you're just (laughs) you're gonna put that 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 word the word improves i think is the one that really sticks out to me and then you wrote Um, that down in your little black book and you were like improves erection with hand gotta try this exactly yeah yeah and And you did i would go to my i did (laughs) that was the first i was like wait wait you mean i can improve this (laughs) 
<laughs> you, you mean this thing doesn't have to be limp 24-7? You know? Yeah, hold on. Hold on. This thing works? <laughs> I, just, I thought this was like a, like, I thought I was going to like, I thought it was going to anamorph into an elephant one day and I was going to figure out what this thing, what this thing was good for. Haven't been able to figure it oh, out man. in 21 years yet. Hell yeah. What'd you do on your 21st birthday? <laughs> I uh, I kept it kind of low-key. It was, it was November 15th going into midnight, November 16th. A uh, friend of the show, former roommate, uh, current still friend, Max, Max Lasering, was doing a little comedy show. Uh, I think he was trying his hand at stand-up at the time, and so I went to support him. And he gave me – it was just me and him hanging out. Uh, and he gave me a nice little shout out when he got up on his set. Said it was the I was going to turn 21 at midnight, and uh, the bartender at the venue gave me a free beer. That is awesome. That actually is cool. Like legit, it is kind of nice. Like I, beer. yeah, it it is nice. Uh, it was really nice. Uh, I, and that was kind of like this, you know, leading up to these big event birthdays, like your 16th, your 21st, you know, the the tens or whatever you want to do it. I, uh, I, I, um, am bad at planning to celebrate myself, so to speak, you know, I'm not a huge birthday guy, haven't been very much, um, so I thought that, like, you know, going into 21, I'm like, oh, it's gonna be this huge thing, it's just so important for me, blah, 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 and it just was just, like, a nice, like, I had a nice time with one of my, one of my good friends, you don't drink, so what did you do for your 21st, did you just, like, have a good... I don't even remember, like, to be honest with you, because I'm not big on Mm -hmm. my birthday either, uh, like, I find them to be kind of stressful, actually, more than anything else. Um, yeah. So, I just think I literally, literally, though, I would ask, like, a group of, like, 10, usually, to go to mm. Red Robin with me. That is not a hundred, that is not a joke, that is not me, you know, laying it on thick, like they lay on the campfire sauce thick there, if you ask for mm. it. You can ask for it, it doesn't cost a fucking red cent. You just get okay. it with your meal. I'm tired of people asking me about the campfire sauce at Red Robin, personally. <laughs> Yeah, asking people to hang out at Red Robin, and they're just like, I don't know, Noe, it sounds good, but I just, I can't put down any more money on campfire sauce right now. My campfire sauce budget is depleted for the month, and you're like, hold the fuck up. Don't get fucking twisted over here. I go and shake them like I wish I could shake my firstborn child, but I will I will refrain from doing that with with him or her, depending on which one it is, uh, yeah. or them. That's kind of up to them to figure out, actually, at the ultimate, at the end of the day. Uh, but I'm will refrain from shaking my firstborn, so I shake my friend instead and say, "You don't understand. It's free. Yeah. You just have to yeah. buy a burger, and they'll give it to you." But I do remember once. I can't remember if it was on my 21st or if it was just some special night that I was able to convince some people to come to Red Robin with me. They didn't give us silverware for the first 45 minutes that we were there. And the they, they, we were like, what's going on? What's going on? Why don't I have silverware? They said, it's all dirty. <laughs> that was their excuse. They just oh, said, no. it's all dirty. And I like my friend Kyle looked at me and was like, I feel like this is like the high school band came in and just like took over, took over the kitchen for the night. And they just don't know what to do. Like, this is some like weird, like life lesson that the band director is trying to impart on them. So I, I most likely went to Red Robin and then just probably hung out with like a friend or two and then probably went to bed like semi early. Honestly, is probably like what that sure. night was. Um, but who cares? Because this is it's on the list with Noah and Mason. Welcome back. Yep. I am of course funny talking baby, Noe M. With me as always, funny talking dog, Macy M. Mace. Hey. What's up, baby? Uh. You kind of 
had a weird. The energy was kind of really shitty for everybody this, this last week. As the week just was kind of a weird, a weird shitty uh, week to some capacity to some extent. But I had a pretty good Saturday, actually Friday night into Saturday. I saw the Batman twice in a twelve-hour period, which is like Jesus. the most that I've. Yeah, I normally don't go to the movie. Don't go and see movies in theaters more than once. Um, and certainly not with that truncated period of time. Um, I did it with Widows, and I did it with The Dark Knight Rises. Those are the only two that I can think off the top of my head that I've done. And it was not within a 12-hour period either. It was just because I wanted to go to the late show with one, uh, with, uh, a buddy of mine and his girlfriend. And I was going to try to rope in, uh, my friend Gia to come with us to that, those plans. She was uh, a Thai Thai girl, so she did not go that night. So we made plans to see it at the first show at the Regal the next morning. Uh, Noah has not seen the Batman as of this recording, so I do not want to talk about too much. I just say that I really, 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 really enjoyed that movie, and I'm glad I saw it so close so I can just live in Gotham for six of 12 hours in my weekend. Uh, It was a really nice day in Chicago yesterday. People were out walking around, and then it kind of got windy. It's a little windy now, but it, and it's not as like, warm. But it's it's things are things are um there's 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 something in the air improvements in the air. Uh, that's how I'm doing. How are you doing, bud? I'm actually having a great weekend. Fuck yeah! Don't, Fuck I don't yeah! Know why, I don't know why why there's weird energy going on or what's going on over in the Midwest, but I'm having a great weekend. I am. The reason I asked you to record early today was so that I could go see an afternoon showing of Matt Reeves's The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. and Paul Dano. Paul Dano. Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Colin Farrell. Your, your man. You got to hang out with your man a lot recently because you also saw After Yang. I did. And after, I would, uh, I love The Batman. I It doesn't need me stumping for it. I would really stump for After Yang. After Yang is, is something is something really 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 special, um, and I, I'm kind of anxious to see that one again also as well. Hollywood um, rumor I, being that he uh, Colin Farrell would show up to set in the Penguin makeup, and Koganata actually really wanted him to keep it on, but yeah, um, then they then they hit him on the back of the head, and he said, "Actually, never mind." <laughs> That's fine. It's funny you say that because there is like kind of a gratuitous Colin Farrell shirtless scene, and he's looking like he's looking like really good too. Let's go, baby. Uh, yeah, uh, but, uh, it would have been awesome if he was did that same thing, but like as as Oswald Cobblepot smoking that shit that made Oswald Cobblepot um, smoking on that Oswald Cobblepot. Mm-hmm. What, read mm-hmm. the email. I'm not happy about that. We have to read this, but read the email. Yeah. So speaking of speaking of Gotham City, uh, we did after his um, after his last appearance on the show, uh, send Dustin Titcomb to Arkham Asylum. But apparently, they have internet access there, uh, and we got an email this this afternoon um, or this morning for me at 11:38 a.m. Central Standard Time, 9:38 a.m. Pacific, thank you. Uh, which means that he got up and shot off this fucking email. And the subject <laughs> line is, do not read till you are live on the air. And that was a very scary email and subject to see. And here's Mr. the thing. Dustin. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I said to this to Mason before we started, before we started rolling, and I am 100% on this. If this sucks, I get to yell yeah. veto and we stop reading the email. That is actually okay. what we're going to do. But go for yes. it. I'm going to give it a fair okay. chance. Dear Mason, so Dustin Tickcomb writes, Dear Mason and Noah, it only just occurred to me now that the first letter of your names sit right next to each other in the alphabet. 
How fitting. It has also occurred to me that my previous emails have not satisfied you, and time is running out for me to amend that. This is also true. Uh, that's my editorial. Anyways, I remember from my recent Mine appearance too. on the show how much you appreciated Ian's question, and that got old, the old gears of my brain turning. So here we are approaching the end of the show, and there is information that I still do not know about the two of you. Therefore, I'm throwing down the gauntlet and asking not one question, but three. I hope Mason didn't cheat and read this ahead, for your answer should be spontaneous and for maximum truth. Good luck. If the two of you are – okay, question one. The two of you are sitting in a booth at one of the 532 Red Robin locations located across North America. You look into each other's eyes, and without speaking, there is an understanding. Only one person can own the exclusive rights to its on the list with Noah and Mason Brand, as well as access to the email account. There is only one fair way to determine who it will be that owns these rights in a battle who can eat the most bottomless french fries. Who is the winner? Me. Mm-hmm. Like, without a doubt, it's I'm, if that's how we're determining that shit – I yeah, mean, without a doubt. I mean, I got an I got an appetite, but if they are bottomless French fries, I think that there is a bottom to my appetite, particularly for French fries. Uh, I think that that would give me a tummy ache. I might feel stressed out and try to eat too fast and give myself a tummy ache. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm so saying. I think, you're gonna over you're yeah. gonna overthink the whole thing, and I'm like, I've got a home field fucking advantage. I'll even go to yeah. a Red Robin in the Chicagoland area. That's how yeah. confident I am in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, uh, question two. This question is for the loser of the previous question, so for me. So now you are now out on the street and down on your luck. You need a new job. Congratulations, you are now the head security detail for Kanye West. At a live concert for the new Donda experience, Donda 3.14, Donda Pi, you discover that Pete Davidson, my birthday twin, is in the building because he thought it would be funny. Haha, good one, Pete. You do not know where he is sitting, but it's only a matter of time before someone posts it on social media and Kanye finds out. How do you keep Ye and Pete separate, maintaining the peace? Um, I think that because Pete and I have the exact same to the day birthday, there would just be like, oh, wow. we could look at each other. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think I could just see him from across the stadium, look him in the eyes, uh, and give him a look that communicates your life is in danger. Get out now. Um, without needing to make too much of a show of it. Uh, I would try to, uh, maybe swoop in wearing a bat. Like if I'm Kanye's West security detail, I'm going to spend the money that I'm getting from that to make myself like my own Batman cape and cowl. Uh, so I would just like glare at Pete from the shadows and be like, your life is in danger. Get out now. Uh, and, uh, that way we can keep the peace at the Kanye West event. Um, okay. He's, and so, Chicago uh, would probably play the United Center. Right, like that would make the most sense, or maybe Soldier well, Field. Well, when he uh, Soldier Field, I would say Soldier Field, because that's when he did um, when he did the Donda concert where he uh, uh, like remarried Kim or whatever. That was at Soldier Field. Okay. So I think so, yeah, be- he's definitely going Soldier. to Soldier Field. Yeah, without a yes. doubt. So you yes. get to swoop in from like the upper bowl and be like, "Get out, Pete! Get out! Your life's in danger." It's me, yeah. Mason, by the way. <laughs> but it's on the list. It's me, Mason M. Oh, I mean, it's me, Batman. <laughs> He'll it's be like, the Bat Mason M. Be like, oh, it's on the list. Yo, I love it's on the list. He'll say that. Pete would say that, I think. He will say that. Uh, the last question is for the both of us. Peter Great. Becker, president of the Criterion Collection, is a longtime fan of the show. Thank you, Peter Becker. You, As Pete. a celebration gift, he invites each of you to fly out to New York and visit the famous Criterion Closet. Oh, you begin shit. frothing at the mound over all the free cinema you're going to get your grubby little paws on. Only at the last moment before leaving your apartment, you are hit with the ultimate curveball. You're not coming in to uh, the closet to take movies, but instead you are required to put one from your collection back. Which Criterion disc that you own will be pu- you putting? Will you be putting back in the closet? That's a good curveball. Oh, that's actually, actually good questions, that's, Dustin. That's actually not what I thought the question was going to be. I thought it was going to be you are getting to put a movie in the Criterion collection. That's not oh. currently in. 
Is that what he wrote, or did he say you, you have are to- not coming to the closet to take movies, but instead you are required to put one from your own collection back. So we are okay. putting a movie from our Criterion DVD okay. that we have gotcha. and putting it back on the shelf. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I got to be real I honest. Know. I haven't seen my yeah. Blu-rays in person and my DVDs in person in like going on a year and a half. They've all been in right. boxes and I just haven't had the time or want to really like get shelves together to put that shit up. Um, I probably have like a night of the living dead criterion that I was gifted at one point and I like that movie, but I don't need that movie on criterion. So it's going to be something like that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Not a fave, but something I was like, Oh, I was either gifted that or I got it on a sale and I was like, Oh, that would be kind of cool to have. And now I just have to happen to have that version. So for the sake of simplicity, I'll go with, I have to have it. I'm not that. Hold on. <laughs> Can you just hold on? We got John McEnroe back in the building. So for simplicity's sake, and to, to get on with the rest of the show, Dustin, those actually were good questions. Thank you very much. I'll go with Night, George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. That's the one I'll get back. I don't, yeah, because I don't know um, off the top of my head what uh, criterions I have. Um, they are all like on a shelf, like kind of just in one row. Um, and I, th- the thing with me is like, I'm usually buying criterions for myself because when I ask for them for my birthday or for Christmas, uh, my parents don't understand what I'm talking about and just give me like the standard, <laughs> standard Blu-rays. <laughs> it's thoughts account, thoughts account, thoughts accounts. Um, so I, I can't, so all of them are somewhat precious to me. I think though, like it, it's not a, 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 a marker of the quality of the movie. It's just kind of me like being, uh, in little stinker mode actually, but when I was re-watching my Rushmore Criterion Blu-ray right before I went to see French Dispatch, Don't say it this. stopped, like, in, no, well, no, 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 this is what I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to okay. say. All it's right. not a marker on the quality of the movie. I would put my Rushmore Blu-ray back because it stopped working, like, 15 minutes before the end. And I tried okay. to, like, do, yeah, I tried to, like, do my little, like, fixes on that disc, but it just would not, it's, it's, for some reason, it's just not working. So I'm putting my Rushmore Blu-ray back on the shelf so that I can replace it. Uh, and then uh, my enemy, who is going to get into the Criterion closet to take their, their hands off it, uh, whoever my enemy will be, will be like, oh, Rushmore, I actually don't have this one, but it's my scratched copy, and they'll never be able to finish it. Um, that is fucking diabolical of you, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm just thinking, like, when I think of, like, the Criterions that I have, like, when I'm just, like, looking at the shelf, it's like, the ones that are like popping out to me are like the the kind of older DVD, like my Tulane Blacktop set, which has like the script and is like really clutch that I am very precious of and would not like to lose. Um, is that is that its I own or was that part of the Lost in America collection? I just don't. Know. I have the one where it's by itself. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um. But uh, yeah, I can't think of other the other criterions that I have that I would like to. Yeah, but maybe like maybe my Doctor Strangelove actually, just because I also have that one on Blu-ray, uh, or like on DVD. Uh, and like while I love that movie, it's just kind of like I have it because it's the oh, it's Doctor Strangelove in the Criterion Collection. It's it's um, I don't know, yeah, but like something like that. Like you're like you're Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, something that's just like it's cool that I have this on Criterion, but I know that this is not the only way I could have this. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it's like, that, exactly. that's how I feel about Night of the Living Dead. Like, Night of the Living Dead's good. I'm not, like, yeah. especially even a fan of it. 
But if I really wanted to watch that movie, I have no issue just like finding it on streaming or just pay- paying the three ninety nine to rent it on Amazon if I'm really in the mood for it. So of course, I'll say Night of the Living Dead. George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Mason is saying um, Ru- Wes Anderson's best movie, Rushmore. So there you go. Uh, Dustin closes the email by saying congratulations on an epic run and all the best on your next adventures, your friend Dustin. Uh, Thank you, buddy. You are still a uh, kissy for you. We are still (laughs) keeping you in Arkham Asylum for the remainder of your sentence. That's true. You're still banned from the show. Thank you for the email. You are banned from the show. You are in Arkham Asylum. And I hope you have fun with your new roommate. It's me, Killer Croc, and I'm about to go get Dustin for breakfast. <laughs> That's what he sounds like, right? <laughs> uh, I think he'd be. A, I think he'd be a great Killer Croc if uh, you know. Well, let's try to let's try to let's get, get you in the, the direction. Let's of get Matt me Reeves. Yeah. Matt Reeves. Come on, bro. I yeah. know you listen to this. I know you, Pete and Pete Davidson, get together every Friday, no matter where you are in the world, and you listen to the new apps. I know that. Hashtag No EM for Killer Croc. Hashtag no EM for Killer Croc. Thank you. Thank you. I go up to every single person. Thank you. Shake their hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just getting paddled on the ass. Just like, go get him, Tiger. Thank you. Bah. You good, Mason? I just realized I had not actually been recording. <laughs> but it's okay. I'll take it from the Zoom audio. We're fine. We're fine. You'll take it from the Zoom. You're good. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, we actually legit. We actually do have a triple decker today, so we actually should get started on the show. Great email though, Dustin. But yeah, you're banned from the show still. Mason, Noah, we got a short film to talk about first. We do have Am a short right? film. Yes, you're so right. Yes. You're so right, Bestie. Yes. That's so true. That's such a fart, Bestie. You're so right. You're so right, Bestie. Serious, man. You cannot be serious. I am serious. I'm serious. We got a fucking short. That short is from 2011. Mm-hmm. It's called Pioneer. <laughs> Snap. Oh, Mason. Hi. Have you ever heard of this short film? Hey. Hey. Uh, I've not heard of the short film. I'm actually not a huge... Uh, uh, I haven't seen a lot of David Lowry movies, actually. The only David... This is a David Lowry short, short film. Sorry to spoil it, but... um. Uh, I have, the only David Lowry project I have seen is actually the Green Knight. Um, oh shit! Yeah, so uh, I uh, am not too familiar with his work, and because of that, I'm also not very familiar with his shorts, his shorts, his little trousers, his little pants. I was just about to say, you're not too familiar with that with that cute ass, that that tight little David Lowry Dallas ass. Um, well, I'm a little. I guess I am a little more familiar then because. First time I ever heard of David Lowry was in 2017 when a ghost story hit theaters. Mm-hmm. And I remember going in the summer with my two friends to see it. Went to the uh, Regal at UCI, which is where all the indie releases were. That was the closest place where that's like where I saw Moonlight. It's where I saw a bunch of cool shit. And I remember going to that screening. That's where I saw Brigsby Bear. Shout out Brigsby Bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember leaving and being like, I think that was terrible. <laughs> like I just remember, like I rocked out. I was like, I think that was awful for me. Like I think I hated that. But it was one of those movies where, like, every it was truly like a peer pressure moment where both the people I was with loved it. They yeah. loved that movie, mm-hmm. and I just went, "Yeah, it was good." Like I just like try to be really non-committal about it because I was still trying to figure out really how I felt about it, and I wanted to be in on the hype of it because everyone had been saying it like they mm-hmm. had loved it. So I think at first. 
I was like, yeah, this is so cool. This is like a really unique film, like a film experience. And as it sort of settled, I was like, actually, I think it's kind of not that cool. Actually, I think it's kind of boring and actually not mm-hmm. that interesting. So off the bat, I'm not really a big fan of this guy. And then I remember in 2018, his movie The Old Man and the Gun came out with Robert Redford, which was hypothetically supposed to be Robert Redford's last acting performance ever. And that yeah. was sort of the hype around it. And I remember actually I had I actually remember this very specifically. I had a class canceled in school that was at the time that there was a matinee showing of the old man in the gun at the Cinemark in Orange, California. So I actually drove my white ass over to the Cinemark in Orange, California and watched the old man in the gun matinee like on a whim. Mm. And I also thought that one was kind of bad too. I was like, this is kind of boring. Like, I just don't really get the appeal of this ultimately. Like, it just feels like a movie. I just don't really fully get the sauce that maybe some other people are seeing in this. It just mm-hmm. didn't hit for me. Mm-hmm. Then, senior year of college comes around. Oh, no. And Dodge College of Film. I know. Bum, ba-dum, bum. Fuck. <laughs> bum, ba-dum, bum. Short. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Short. At Chapman, in the film program, you had to make your senior thesis. Mm. Uh, and I was excited. And I feel like at least at film school, and I think a lot of the times when making a short film, it is so easy to try and cram a feature film into a short form. Yeah. Like, so many people try and do that. And I truly did feel like with the last movie I made previous to that, I didn't do that. I was very cognizant of that. I was like, I'm working in the short format. Feature structure and feature sort of ideals aren't really going to work here. So I have mm. to think like I think I have to think like a short. That's really what I was like. I have to yeah. think like a short, and I think I was successful at that. But in my senior thesis, I don't feel like I was successful at it. And I had spent a long time working at it, and I was like, "Damn, I really tried to do too much here for a multitude of different reasons." Uh, but ultimately, I don't think it was as successful as I wanted it to be. And I was depressed. I was depressed about graduating. <laughs> I was depressed about all that shit. And I'm going to class one day, and my friend Paolo is walking with me. We were in the same class. And he says to me, how's your movie going? And I go, not well. It's not going well. I don't think think it's not really going that well. He said, I'm sorry to hear that. And we were just sort of talking about how hard it is to make a short, how hard it is to make a movie in general, how hard it is to make a movie Mm -hmm. on a student budget, more or less. Mm -hmm. Like, just just all the kvetching and griping that you would do in that situation. And I remember him saying to me, have you ever seen the short Pioneer before? Hmm. And I said, no, I've never seen, I don't even know what that is. And he said, I'm going to send it to you. So he sends it to me, and this is like right before my thesis screens. This is like probably early March, I would guess, of 2020, of 2019, excuse me. And I watched this movie when I get home, and I literally said out loud, why didn't anybody show me this yeah. before I made movies at film school? This is, for no exaggeration, I would say, this was sort of a life-changing moment when I watched this movie because it made me so realize all the cool things you can do in a short Mm -hmm. that you would not be able to get away with in a feature. And the entire time I was just like, fuck, why can't I just make a feature instead? But I didn't realize how cool and how precious that short format can be if you know kind of how to wiggle around in there. So it was sort of a life-changing moment for me. And I was almost kind of pissed that it was David Lowry who made it because I wasn't really a fan of his. But this movie is so amazing. And I don't know, really know a lot of other people who have seen it. 
And so I knew I was going to bring it on the show at some point, and I'm running out of time. So I had to bring it yeah. on either this week or next week. So I figured, why as well bring it on this week? And that's kind of my that's kind of my history with it, Mason. But uh, I've seen this short a mil- you know millions of times at this point. Yeah. What did you think of this? This is probably your first time seeing it. I'd have to guess. It is. I think I kind of had the same feeling and reaction at the end of it that that you did because like um i like what you said about how you're trying to you know when you're making a short film and i'm certainly when i was you know trying to make my own shorts and trying to just make movies and and really stressing about how to do that i was like I'm only going to have, like, a, a couple of shots to do this, basically. And I just, I you have to put everything, every single, and this, this was, like, a thing that was, like, frustrating me in L.A. because I was in this writer's group that was really, like, a support, like, a good support, like, kind of system and a good sort of structure for me to have. But I would just, like, kind of come into these, like, you know, meet with these 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 uh, people in my writer's group who were, like, very good and, and disciplined and had a very good idea of what they wanted to write and what they wanted to accomplish. And I'm just like, I'm feeling so fucking much right now. I have so much I want to do. I have so little time to do it um, that I want tried to cram so, so much into it. And what I really liked about Pioneers, it's it's its simplicity um, and how it's using just, like, this one set um, and just capturing these little element, like just the, the way that the light is moving, um, the performances of, of, uh, Will Oldham. And I don't know the other, uh, the, the, the young actor who plays his son in this, um, just like, I, I like how this movie feels like, and all these different levels of production, like just paying very close attention to maximizing the, um, you know, just the, 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 um, uh, approach or, or, or the sort of what you can do like with that. Well, even not maximizing, but like really being cognizant of what like your limits and your restrictions are. Totally. Um, you know, if you're making a short film, um, you know, just, just what you can accomplish like in a short film is just like having like a conversation like this. And those are typically my favorite kinds of short films are the one, not the ones that are like super flashy or super impressive, like with their production, but just the ones that can like kind of just boil down just like um, a really intimate feeling, you know, and, and express that in a, in a, um, in, in such a, uh, a, a creative way. Um, and this film is just a conversation between a father and a son, but in the, the direction of the actors and like their blocking and how the light is moving and how the, you know, the soundtrack, how that comes in, it's really just, it really just affects you so, um, completely for the 15 minutes that it's there that it is kind of like, um, I, I think it is kind of just like an essential short film just to remind you of what you can be doing with this with that format absolutely you know i was really 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 um impressed with it at the end of it and it did like it's moving it's so moving moving. yeah yeah the the thing and one and you know just to sort of cherry pick one of the things you said there one thing i noticed for the first time and i've seen this short upwards of 10 times at this point it he is wearing a costume that tells you so much about him. Yes. Did you he, notice what he's wearing? I did. I noticed that he was wearing like a uniform, but I didn't see what was on the uniform. It's like he works at like a mechanic shop, more or less. He's he's just this like blue collar guy. He like tell it tells you so much about what the environment is, maybe what a little bit about who this guy is and some backstory to this guy because you don't really get it. 
until he starts diving into the story. And even then, the story that he's telling to this little boy, whose name, the actor's name is Miles Brooks, by Thank the way. You. Miles Brooks is the Thank little boy. Thank you, Miles. You did a great job. Um, he did do a great job, and I got some interesting fast facts about him later. But he, uh, it's so mesmerizing, the things that they're able to do from that co- that simple costume choice mm-hmm. of being like, you were you are working at a mechanic place, or you do a blue collar job. Basically, mm. is what they're trying to tell you there. And Will Oldham is such a good actor in this moment. He's so sensitive and so um, patient and so gentle with this little boy. And the little boy is so good at like reacting in ways that feel like genuine. And they did a very interesting thing in the rehearsal process to basically just figure all that shit out. But mm-hmm. uh, I was so amazed by this i always come back to this um what do you actually are you you've seen this one time for the show Mm -hmm. what do you think this movie's about ultimately um i wrote it down in my notes uh it's it's mason's notebook yeah i don't have anything like right now with my viewing of it and i have this like I have this sort of reaction after shorts where I can just uh, more than than with features, I think, because you just get so this is a movie that packs in a lot in its short amount of time. But the most thing is it's just about the um, to me, it's like intellectually as you grow up and at like. I am older now than my parents were when they got married, you know, and I always, until I hit 27, which is the age that my parents were when they got married, uh, and even, like, when I was going to college, like, I knew because my parents met in college and, and things like that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to find my wife in college, I'm going to be married, I thought I was going to be fitting in, um, like, I, I kind of had, like, set benchmarks for myself for for that, and, you know, it, it didn't pass because I have my own fucking life, I don't have my parents' fucking life, but as I gotten older, I started to really appreciate more and more, like, just the the length of time that my parents had in their own lives before um, I came into the picture, and how I will, no matter how old I get to be, no matter what happens, I will never truly know what that experience for them was like until I show up, basically. And this movie is kind of about how, uh, to me, I think it's about the... the um, just the fact that Will Oldham is telling the story and, and, and putting like so much just adventure and uh, uh, feeling and and just 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 this kind of uh, really uh, uh, vivid detail into this story that's encapsulating this life um, before his son enters the picture. And it's kind of all about how that is no matter what his life that he has led. It's not his son's life at all. And it's kind of about passing along. I think to me right now, it's kind of about how you're, you, you kind of, you, you can take the torch from your parents more or less, but you have to find your own purpose and your own sort of path that you go on, um, aside from these stories. Like, you can't just be living in these stories. I love the little moment in this where they switch positions and Will Oldham is lying on the bed and his son is looking down at him. Um, and, and Will Oldham is relate finishing that story. Like, it's just like this kind of thing where it's like, eventually these two are going to have to like, kind of switch positions. Maybe like the son will have to take care of Will Oldham as he gets older. Um, it made me feel and, and think about a lot. I don't know if I have one set thing other than just like, kind of just, just the, the, 
life that people live before before they enter into into yours. I guess I I suppose um that's where I'm at right well, now. It's, it's 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 not clear ultimately, but it's not opaque in like a bad way. It's like right. cryptic in an interesting way. Like ultimately, what's going on in this? And I think on a like on a very like top level, I actually think that a lot of this is like, how do you tell your kid that he's adopted? Like I think that's part of the story as well. Oh sure, the kid's black and yeah. he and Will Oldham is white. So I think on the very yeah. top level, I think there's some some of that going on as well. But they kind of they kind of skirt past that ultimately, like as yeah. the, as the movie goes on and as the story goes on. And I think that you're spot on about like the the legacy thing and the, you know about having to figure out your own purpose and your own spark in life. And that's why, spoiler alert, one of my Mercedes Valuable Players is the last line of the film, which is what uh, which is a Will Oldham line where he says, "When I'm gone, I'm gone." Or I guess the last couple lines, "When I'm gone, I'm gone." That's all there is to it. What you have to do is find out why you're still alive. I get fucking yeah. goosebumps every single time that that happens, and I know it's going to happen, and I never fully remember what the line is specifically, but I just know that it's going to be amazing. The simplicity in this thing is unreal, uh, and everything is coming together to work so well. And they didn't stress that, you know, when you're making a short, you know, and you don't have unlimited resources like maybe some of these tier one features do, everything yeah. matters. Everything counts. You know, the, what you're shooting, the amount of days you're shooting, what's on screen, what's off screen, how are you going to spend your money, are you going to spend any money, all that shit. And they do so much in one room mm-hmm. with two characters. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you have gone on such a journey with these people, and it's all because of performance and writing. Well, not mm-hmm. all because of performance and writing, but primarily because of two characters in one room talking to each other. And it's not, I think it's easy to say that this short is telling and not showing, but I would like adamantly disagree. I think there is so much showing going on because it's all about what Will Oldham isn't saying to his son. And what he's implying to his son, and what right. the subtext of what he's saying to his son is. So I think that's not a fair thing to say about this short, if someone were to say it and be like, that's why I didn't like it, you know? Yeah, well, I think that the, you know, that show don't tell Maxim, um, uh, I think can be understood because just like, just to break down the idiom, you are telling a story. You know, and I know that you're like in a film. Like the nice thing about this is, I, I think I think you're right on that. Um, I think you could give this exact same script to, um, you know, like maybe with anything, you could give the same script, the same material to a different director, and something else would come out of it. But I really like that the, you know, this is what I was trying to say earlier, which was just like the the script works just like on a text level, like if. You, this was just like a, a short story that I was reading. It would affect me in a certain, a certain way, you know. But it's how David Lowry and the the team that he has like works with the the lighting, works with like all the elements that are inherent to a film. The the sound, the music, like you know, you talked last week about, or maybe it was the week before, about how like movies and 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 cinematic storytelling can be this like total experience with like this music and the lighting and and the framing and all this 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 other stuff. Um, and I think that when you are, there are some directors that just get so focused on, or, or some, that just get so focused on the words on the page that, um, their imagination kind of just, just, uh, 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 um, crumples a little bit, or they get so tunneled vision on making sure that each of these words count and kind of by in, like thinking about, you know, putting in those sound effects and, and, um, you know, making the, 
the way that camera move, um, you know, goes above Miles's head when he's like, uh, I forget what what um, what Will Oldham says to him, uh, but like, there's this moment that just like kind of implies like Miles is like sort of, uh, uh, um, you know, just just his thought process and just like the sort of, um, you know, just just him, you know, going into his imagination there. That's a really really striking. Um, bit of of uh, visual storytelling and kind of breaks the established like edit or the sort of breaks the established uh, visual um, language and that short up to that time um, you have to kind of be be playful with that I think as a filmmaker to really get so much out of the ex, uh, the experience there like I was just uh, I was just joking in the letterbox comments with uh, friend of the podcast Ryan Kenny because he watched riffing a, in the replies baby yeah, riffing in the fucking replies he watched like a pre-code era adaptation of the age of innocence and I think gun to my head the age of innocence is my favorite Martin Scorsese movie just because there's so like that is kind of like a total film to me like just the amount of how from frame to frame from shot to shot just how much is like communi- like how much of that story is being communicated that way the the soundtrack to that movie just that that that's a, a a tremendously beautiful movie um to me and um yeah yeah i i think that like the the pioneer the 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 topic at hand here um recognizes that uh sort of that that i guess uh uh the challenge or the or the whatever you want to call it speaking of lowry did you like the green knight or because you were so on his last movie, did you set that down? Okay, I'm curious because this one, this I have not seen, uh, Old Man and the Gun or Ghost Story or anything else like I said, but what um, Green Knight was one of my favorite movies last year just because it was kind of the same thing where it's like almost every single frame was just beautiful in its own way and the way that that story moved along, um, it left a really lingering and lasting impression with me for like weeks, months after after I saw it at uh, in theaters last year. Um, so I'm curious if that one like works for you or not. We'll see. We'll see. I, I we'll see. I don't. I I don't know. I just know that this is my favorite thing I've seen that he's ever done, and I think it's one of the best short films I've ever seen for how it subverts your expectations, how it's simple it is, and how moving it is by the end. It is so unbelievably moving. I love yeah. this movie. I have some fast facts, and we got to do the Mercedes valuable player bullshit. Yeah. That we do because we have a whole album and other movie to talk about. Since I'm gonna get to the back now. All of this is taken from an interview that he did with Filmmaker Magazine in 2011 on Finding Miles Brooks, the boy. We found Miles in an open casting call. He was four years old, the by far the youngest kid we saw, and he'd never acted before. He was so calm and patient and had an innate ability to internalize whatever directions I'd give him. We were pretty certain from the moment we saw him that he was the right kid. Once he had the part, we spent a lot of time working with him, just getting him used to the idea of being cameras, of having cameras and lights around. And we read him a lot of stories. We had different versions of the story from the film that we'd workshop with him. Shorter, less intense iterations, etc. We had his dad read him a version of it every night before the bed and the whole for the whole week leading up to production. But we left certain details out so they'd catch him by surprise when we started shooting. I think that's really fucking smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd practice his dialogue, too, and different ways of saying it. Since he couldn't read yet, he just learned the part through gentle repetition. Brilliant. Amazing. Truly mm-hmm. amazing. Um, question was, how were the questions about the character slash story that Miles and Will asked you on set different? Well, he says, 
Will had a few questions about the story or intent from time to time. Miles would wonder when we were going to be done or what we were having for lunch. Hell yeah. Let's Love go. That. Which, honestly, as a 20, whatever, as a young 20, man in his young 20s working on film sets at film school, and even after, I'm asking the same damn question yeah. that Miles is When's asking. this day over and when we, we get lunch? <laughs> when the fuck can we go home? Jesus. Um, Filmmaker Magazine says, can you talk about the idea f- uh, for the film, how the film developed? Lowry says, I had written a passage or two of a screenplay a few years ago that started with a Civil War soldier wandering across a field and finding a survivor of a massacre. It always stuck with me, and I had always been thinking about the concept of timelessness of a character on whom time has no bearing, like Wolf's Orlando. I love that idea. And then last May, I was working on a feature script uh, a feature script, and was toying with the scene in which a father tells a, do- a story to his daughter. I had been stuck on that and went out for a jog, which is where all my best ideas occur. And as I was running, I thought back on the idea with the soldier, and suddenly the entire story just unfolded in my head. I ran back home and wrote it. I wrote it in Word because I figured I'd be able to get it down faster if I wasn't paying attention to screenplay formatting, and it worked. That is a fucking great tip to just write it down, reg- like regardless of what yeah. program you're using, just so you can get it out. PTA only uh, writes in Word, which is so cool to me. <laughs> That is actually crazy. <laughs> that actually is insane. I didn't know that. Uh, and last thing, uh, Lowry says, I based a lot of this movie on my memories from my dad, uh, the stories he'd tell me and my brothers, which sometimes got ludicrously gruesome. I grew up in Wisconsin. Hey. Yeah, Wisconsin. Uh, and he'd tell us stories about Ted Bundy fighting the Easter Bunny and stuff. I don't know if those tales had any life lessons per se, nor do I think they harmed me. They were scary, and now they form the core of some of my fondest memories, so I must have gotten something out of them. I remember my mom telling me about this book of photos from the Vietnam War at her parents' house, including that famous one of a soldier holding a severed head. That didn't make sense to me, and I really wanted to see it. She just showed it to me. It didn't scare me, but after I'd looked at it, I never wanted to see that book again. Showing it to me once was fine. Showing it to me a second time after I didn't want to see it is where the line could have been crossed, and my parents never crossed it. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, Mason, who, what, which, or when is your Mercedes Valuable Player, and do you recommend Pioneer? Uh, full recommend for Pioneer, my Mercedes Valuable Player is going to go to Will Oldham, who is, uh, I really like Bronny Prince Billy. He's really, really good, also as a young actor in, uh, John Sayles' Madawan. Love that guy. Um, love Will Oldham, and I think he's so sweet and tender in this movie. Uh, kind of your ideal dad type, um, the kind of dad you want. And uh, it's really, really, really lovely. Noe, what about you? Full recommend as well. Easy full recommend. I, like I said, this is one of my favorite short films of all time. And I got to give a co-Mercedes Valuable here. First, to the soundtrack. And that includes the score by Daniel Hart and the sound editing by Jeff Nagel and Jeff Halbert. Again, like you were saying, Jeff. Mason. Let's go, Jeffs! That's right. That's right. You know what that means, bro. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know what that means. Hell yeah. First one of the fucking episode, my man. Uh, as you were saying, and as we were talking about last a couple weeks ago, the just, you know, sound is one of those elements that makes a movie what it is. You know, mm. it is part of what movie brings a movie to life, in addition to every other thing that brings a movie to life. But sound is really one of those key elements. And it's used so interestingly in this short film. So I had to shout out those three men, Daniel Hart, Jeff Nagel, and Jeff Halbert. And then my co-Mercedes Valuable player goes to David Lowry's writing. And of course, that last lot, those last little moments, when I'm gone, I'm gone. That's all there is to it. 
What you have to do is find out why you're still alive. Shiver down my spine, goosebumps on my arms and on my back. One of the greatest short films I've ever seen. That's why I had to bring it on. It's on the list with Noe and Mace. Or we rebrand the show Mm -hmm. to It's on the Fart with Mason and Shart. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Speaking of It's on the Fart with Mason and Shart, we got an album to talk about, too. You bet your bitty we we have an an album album to talk about. Let's go. What are we talking about today, Mace? Well, this is another Noah jam here, but uh, it is absolutely by the American uh, R&B soul rapper Dijon 2021. That's a snap. That's a fucking snap. Um, okay, officially though, Mason, what is your history with this album? Because I feel like it's you've, you've stopped and started with this one. You've, like, herked the car forward and then stopped and then gone forward again, right? Uh, More or less. Uh, this was not on my radar at all last year. I remember you I, I remember you said in your end, this was one of your top uh, things of 2021, and uh, it was just completely foreign to me. It was not, no one I knew uh, was had either posted this on social media, no one, no, like, music writers that I follow were, like, talking about it or anything uh completely unknown to me um uh my gut says that it's probably like that's it's he's an la guy so people in and around la um probably you know trickled over to them uh but in any case you you shouted this out and then sometime after we did that episode i was on youtube and i think in between in between doing the end of year episode and we had nina kramer on for drowned by mickey I had watched on YouTube, uh, or the song many times had come up on my YouTube recommendations, and I was like, all right, let me just give this one song a shot here, see what this Dijon guy is all about. Uh, and that was one of the things where I was just, like, sitting on my on the floor on my laptop, and I just, like, sort of sat straight up being like, holy fuck, Yo. like, this is, this is yeah. really fucking good. And I texted you right away um, that I was listening to it, and I think I said, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said, this is really fucking good. Um, and then I think I, so, you know, Dijon came up again in the, the Nina Kramer, excuse me, episode. And I can't remember if I tried to listen to the full album after sometime in between that. And when you wanted to bring the album on the show, um, I, I think many times was playing on like chirp or maybe, uh, chirp radio, which is a radio station I listen to when I'm working from home. Uh, it's a local station. It's nonprofit, so the DJs really have kind of full reign over what gets played, and you can and I, I get a lot of cool listen. Hear a lot of cool music from there. I was like, okay, so this Dijon guy is actually like kind of breaking through a little bit, so I'll give this album a shot. And I, I listened to, I think on one of my commutes to work one day, uh, it just like kind of worked out where I'm like, okay, I can just like kind of have this in my head when I'm going to downtown to the office. Uh, but I got to many times again, and I just wanted to put that motherfucker on repeat just because I like that song so much. And so it wasn't into, and I knew you wanted to bring this on in, the, in your last little bit of time here. Um, and I kind of held off until I got the, you know, kind of the, the go ahead to listen to it. And so this time listening to the album was the first time I listened to it all the way through. Um, like I said, the energy was really weird in the Midwest this week. I had a really shitty uh, or beginning of my week uh, after the screening of After Yang, which I went to with uh, someone I had been seeing with. We had the 
uh, unfortunate conversation where we um, spoke honestly about where we were in our lives and we decided not to be seeing each other anymore, which was uh, not a fun, even though we had not been seeing each other for, me and this person had not been seeing each other for very long, and I liked them a lot, and I was having a nice time with them. Uh, It is just a kind of shitty thing to happen when you realize uh, you are in different places, uh, and that happened early enough in the relationship where it was uh, still stung a little bit, and I was doing the whole, like, Blah, blah, blah. But anyways, when you have like a kind of emotional upending thing like that, it really does just throw my entire week out of whack. <laughs> and I was so stressed out during the week. I was like, I don't know when I'm going to have time to fucking watch this movie and do all this other shit. Uh, but so all to say, I listened to this album when I was going to run some quick errands. Not the time or place to listen to it, because by the time it was over, I had it had not registered uh, I went to the laundromat in the middle of the week, and what I like to do with the laundromat is just sit and listen during the dry cycle, and I did that, but also not an ideal experience to really take in this album. But today, I had I got up really early, even though we had an early record, I still got up early enough to have kind of like a nice little morning. When I watched Pioneer, I listened to uh, Absolutely by Dijon one more time, and now we are here talking about it. So, Noe, it is now your turn yes. to tell me... Give me the full history of you here with Mr. Dijon, Mr. Absolutely, Mr. Um, PP out my Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> Mr. Worldwide, yeah. Mr. Uray. <laughs> Mr. I'll take one of those. Mr. Mr. Hey, don't can go I give there. this guy five more of these buttons? The guy get four more of those? <laughs> Mr. Fart. <laughs> Mr. Fart and Mr. 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 Having Fart. a brown one. <laughs> Mr. Fart and Mrs. Sharp. Let's go. Mason, you know what that means, brother. You oh, know you what know, that I know what that means. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving it, baby. <sighs> I had seen my friend Fia post a song from this album. I don't remember what song it was on Instagram. That was the first time I'd ever seen anybody talk about this album. This was like September or October uh, mm. of last year. And the album cover was extremely striking to me because Good he album is cover. throwing it back, big Willie, big Willie style, just throwing it back, hands up in the air, hat yeah. kind of on backwards, having a fun time. He's got he's, he's uh, got his hat on like this, kind of. I didn't realize that was yeah, I, for, for, okay. And for the longest time, I thought that he had like a a VR headset on or something. <laughs> oh, he was going he Oculus mode or something exactly. Like yeah. That. Damn. No, he's not that much. He's not that much of a memer. I don't think. Um, and for the listeners at home, Mason put his hat on his eyes. Is basically what he just did. Put his hat on his eyes. And Dijon's throwing it back in the thing, and he's got all this, like, music equipment in front of him, and he's in this, like, older-looking house. And it was very striking to me, because I'm like, oh, that's, like, that is a vibe. That is, like, 100% a vibe. It's very el- it feels very Los Angeles. It feels house party for damn house sure. Party like, sure. that's what I'll say. Um, and that, and that kind of just stuck with me, and I'm like, I've never heard of this, but... So striking that it stayed with me. End of 2020, I am basically self-quarantining because Omicron was spiking and I had to get on a plane at the beginning. Did I say 2020? You did say 2020. You pulled a mason there, Fuck. not knowing what year it was. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Shit ass! Fuck! <laughs> God damn it. End of 2021. Excuse me. I'm self-quarantining because I have to get on a plane and go see my family after the major holiday rush. Omicron is spiking, and I'm not trying to fuck up that travel plan for anyone, for myself or for my family. Yeah. So I am just at home for two weeks straight. 
and it fucking sucked so bad. And I was like, I need shit to do. I need shit to listen to. Because I was working, quote unquote, but I didn't have anything to do. And so uh, my friend David posted his 10 favorite albums of 2021 on Instagram and then wrote a little blurb about them. One of them was also one of my faves. Actually, two of them were also my faves. One of them was Hot and Heavy by Lucy Dacus, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. It was a great album. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was Juno by Remy Wolf, which is also one of my favorite albums from last year. And this was also in there. I think it was like number six or something. It was in the middle somewhere. And I'm like, I just got to listen to this. I remember this from Fia's story. I got to listen to this right now. So I went for a drive, threw it on, and it was one of those experiences, and I, we've all had this experience with art in some way, shape, or form. It was actually kind of a slow burn for me the first mm. time I listened to this all the way through. Because it's very hazy and very chaotic and very like ephemeral, but also very emotionally intense. And so I'm just trying to take it all in. I'm trying to go song by song and really just like experience this for what it is. And I was having some, you know, some some strife in that time as well, you know, just being like, fuck, I can't believe we're doing this fucking shit again. Hope I get to see my fucking family, like all this crazy shit. And it just seeped into my blood, dude. I have mm. listened to this album all the way through at least 20 times mm. since December of 2021. I cannot get enough of this album. It is a new all-time fave. It is a new Noe classic, so to speak. Uh, and I am just completely in love with this. And I've been briefly teasing it to you that this is going to come back on the show. You've we been talking about it on the Nina Crane Rip. I have been edging, and I can't wait to finally come, brother. <laughs> you and me, we're the come brothers. Now <laughs> that's what we are. We just go around fucking coming. We're edging all day, and then we come. Someone, t- someone lightly touches us on the sidewalk, like they accidentally bump us, and you and I, we just spill our spum. Um, <laughs> so that's my history. <laughs> so that's my history with. <laughs> that's my history with this bad boy. I'm I'm in love with this album. Yeah. Straight up. I yeah. love this album. It's so good. And it's... And I... Mason, this is exciting. I haven't told you this either. <laughs> I was debating whether or not I should go see this guy live in mm-hmm. concert. And the ticket was getting kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. At the Will Turn is where he was going to be in LA. Oh, which is a great okay. venue. Yeah. Um, And I was like, I don't know. I love this album, but I've been doing some other stuff. I don't know if I want to, you know, commit to that. And then I saw that he had a visual album come out. Yeah, for I saw a you log this majority on of the songs. And my friend was the cam op for this visual album. Shout out to Adam Hole. Hey, hell yeah. Shout out to Adam. Who actually lives with Dustin, believe hey. it or not. So it's on the list connection. And I watched the opening, just the opening to this visual album at first for the song Big Mike's, I believe. And it was so profoundly moving that I bought a ticket that night there to you see go. him live, but not in L.A. I'm going to go take a drive up to the city by the bay, San Francisco, California, mm. and see him at the historic Fillmore Theater Ooh. on whenever it I'm not going to give any more details because I don't want someone to show up and you know give me a kiss. Yeah. But I'm going to go see him later this year in San Francisco. All thing, you know, things are crazy as fuck still. So, you know, who knows? That performance could easily be moved or canceled or something. But, you know, crossing my fingers, knocking on wood, knocking on my my head, which is wood, um, that I'm gonna be able to see him live 
and that is going to, I'm going to bust immediately when that happens. I'm going to be so excited. Hell yeah. So that's my history with this. I love this album. Mason, do you also love this album or do you think this album is whatever? No, I, um, before this third listen, when I was really just going to dedicate my attention to it, I felt like there were maybe two or three songs that were really popping for me. And on the whole, I liked the album a lot, but it was something that I was having trouble, um, kind of, uh, uh, penetrating in a way, you know, where it just, the, the haziness and the, um, the, the, the haziness that you mentioned, the kind of um, it, it, I, I before I sat down and and gave it that third shot, I I really was feeling like my take on the album was going to be, you know, there's moments on this album where it really just it really is popping for me, but it's not getting on the whole, it's not getting my my blood moving. Um, in a way that makes me as enthusiastic about it as as other people are. But when I gave when I gave it that that third spin, um, that's when it really like kind of unlocked itself or started to unlock itself for me. I I, I think I think that this is one like because that's the thing. It's also it should also be mentioned. It's not a very long album at all. It's about no, thirty it's, minutes long. It's which just is, a tick over thirty minutes. Yeah, it's really short. Yeah, which is why it like surprised me when it was ending that first time when I was running my my errands to the corner store to get a bottle of wine so that I could uh, drown my feelings and watch Castle Freak with my friends uh, <laughs> uh, last Wednesday. Um, but uh, yeah, so the like the the sort of um, that uh, uh, that that quality of it's it's sort of ethereal quality. It's kind of hazy quality. The fact that it's it's and there's those moments of just like intense emotion that pop out. I really wanted there to be more like of moments that like uh, like the dress um, was one that like uh, really stuck out to me. Aside from um, many things, and then fuck, many it, times, many times. Thank you. Uh, and then fucking. Um, He's going back to the notebook, baby. Let's Talk go. Down. Mason's notebook Talk times down. two. Talk down was the other one that I really, really liked, uh, and still really do like. Um, and as a whole, it was just kind of one that I was um, like, I, I, I like this album a lot, and I'm really excited to hear what Dijon does next. I feel like he probably has like something that's going to stick with me a little better down the pipe there. But now I'm just like really. Um, now I feel pretty comfortable to like kind of stump wholeheartedly for this because I think it is something that's really special and really kind of progressive um, in a way. Uh, the wor- the what came to mind like initially when I was like sitting down at the laundromat to to listen to it was it's just like kind of like emo R and B basically like it's that sure. like, kind of you know uh, it was it was mixing those two things together in a way that I was I have not been super familiar or accustomed to. And I'm like, there's at least enough things that are here that are exciting, like my kind of brain, my uh, an, an analysis sort of side of things to recommend it. And by the third listen, I was like, no, this is like really something that's that's really sensitive, even if it is kind of sometimes jagged and ethereal um, in a way that's really, really, really striking. That's kind of where I'm landing on it right now. Nice. That's cool. I'm actually happy. I actually didn't think you were going to fuck with it that much actually to be honest to be 100% honest with you I was no, like I, I, I love I this album that. I thought it was like oh I don't think Mason's gonna vibe with this I'm so that's actually that's actually cool to hear that you're fucking with it a little bit more than I had thought 
I'm going to go on the record and just say this is an album that only gets better with listens. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, this is an album that you could listen, I've listened, like I said, minimum, I've listened to the whole thing through 20 times. Partial re-listens, this is like approaching Gex territory for Thomas. <laughs> to be hey. honest with you, like, it's a lot. It's a lot. I listen to this thing most days. Uh, more, so like, many times you listen to Absolutely <laughs> Many by times Dijon. I'm listening to Absolutely by Dijon. Many times I listen to Absolutely by Dijon. Um, What's it going to take for you to song. listen? What's it going to take for you to listen? <laughs> What's it going to take for you to listen to it's on the list? Me leaving? Fine. I'll do it. <laughs> Fine, I'll do it. Um, every single song on this album um, hits a chord with me. Mm-hmm. I think that, and that didn't happen maybe necessarily upon first listen, but having listened to it as many times as I have and having just this album always on loop, I think every single song tells a story, and I think it ultimately talks about this big story. Uh, this, to me, kind of feels like a short story collection, mm-hmm. almost, where sometimes the threads are connected between characters that he mentions, sometimes they go off and do their own thing, but everything in this album is connected by the idea that love hurts. That mm-hmm. love is a beautiful thing, and it's what makes us human, but it can hurt. And we see yeah. him throughout this album toying with the ideas of what did these people mean to me really in this album? Yeah. What yeah. did these what did these moments in my life and what did these people actually mean to me after having some separation between them? Yeah. And I think that's really cool because between songs and between verses sometimes, I'm thinking specifically here, Rodeo Clown specifically, mm-hmm. in, in between verses, he goes back and forth with like, man, oh man, this was such a great moment. Oh, actually, this was fucking terrible and trash and I should never have been in that situation in the first place. Like, that sucked. And to listen to someone actively have that conversation in an album that doesn't really jam it down your throat and just kind of like puts it out there and he's going to do his thing... To me, that's amazing. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think this feels like a book of short stories in like the best possible way to me. And that's what I that's what I really, really like about this on that sort of end. But otherwise, I just feel so intensely when I listen to this album. More than anything. I just feel so like heartbroken, but also like joyful. Like it's just everything. It's just everything in that pocket I feel listening to this. Um the flow is amazing between like scratching to talk down. There's just like this undercurrent yeah. that flows throughout the entire thing. You're like, don't like, he doesn't let you off the hook at all. It's just bam, 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 bam. The production in this album is unbelievable. It mm-hmm. is staggering how mm-hmm. good it is. And so I got to shout out the boys here. You ready for the boys let's being get, shouted let's, out? Let's shout it out for the boys. Let's shout out for the boys. Can I actually, will you help me out? Can we do the graduation clap thing? Yeah. Every time I, every time, okay, ready? Okay, yeah, let me put my mic down real quick. On guitar and production, Mike Gordon, a.k.a. McGee. Thank you, Chef. On guitar as well, Ryan Richter. Thank you, Chef. On bass, Gabe Noel. Amazing. On keyboard, Brad Oberhofer. And last but not least, on drums and the weird device. I don't know what that is, but that's how they credit him in the uh, visual album. Henry Quapis. 
Mind-boggling to me. Thank you for doing that, Mace. I think the production on this is so sick. And watching that visual album and watching them jam out together and have fun building the beats and building the rhythms and building the melodies on top of each other, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's earth-shattering. It's so cool to watch, and I'm hopeful that the concert is somewhat like that. Maybe not the exact same thing. And also, Mason, this guy is such a good singer. It's crazy how much he can, what his range is. His voice will crack and then he'll immediately go down into his low voice. That's insane to me. It's really cool. There's so much just detail in this album that it's hard to, uh, an initial couple of listens to really appreciate the the depth of everything there. Um, I'm excited to give it another spin and focus on his voice because it was not, so, I, I, I noticed it, it sounded unique to me, but it wasn't something that I had given a lot like like a lot more sort of thought or feeling to um but sure. he does have a really um striking uh, uh or i didn't notice his range i should say um he does have a really really striking voice and his perform like his just vocal performance aside from range and stuff is is so um affecting and distinct from from s- song to song here like when it goes from um uh Noah's highlight reel into the dress. Like those sound like almost two different guys. Yes. Which is really cool. There, there, there is actually another, there is another guy singing on Noah's highlight reel, but Dijon's in there as well. Okay. So that actually probably is why it sounds like two different guys (laughs) because, because there is a second, his name is Noah Legro actually. And, it's not why I like the album, because there's not any new in there. There's a track right. called Noah's hey, okay. Real. Okay. So, the reason I like the album is part of it. It's very cool. I see my name in there. Um, the, I'm going to just say what my Mercedes Viola players are right now, because we are talking about his voice, and it will actually just make sense. This is not what I feel like most people would give their Mercedes Viola player to, but I have, because I have listened to this so much, this is what I, I like get like, my sphincter clenches whenever I get like ready to listen to these two parts of the album. And they are very granular and very specific. The first is in many times when he says, I don't really want to talk about it. eh," That part, when he Mm. says that, that is so amazing to me because there's times where you just don't want to fucking talk about whatever's happening. You just want to process it and have your, have your space. And he's like, fuck off, please just fuck off. Just let me fucking process this shit. And the way in which he says that says that all to me. It's different from the way he says it leading up. So that's one of my Mercedes Valuable players. And then what I think is the z of this album, and I can't believe it doesn't have more plays than it does, is Rodeo Clown. The first mm-hmm. time I listened to this, that was my favorite song on the album. Uh, and the way he says, I still have the T-shirt that you gave me, because everything up until then is like, fuck you, fuck off, I don't need you, like, I'm doing great. Then immediately he goes into, I still wear the t-shirt that you gave me, and you're like, fuck, it's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. This shit is complicated. Hey, is this, uh, is this a Nancy Myers movie? Because it's complicated. Yeah, something's got to give. Something's got because it's, it's the intern. Because it's, because we're in, we, we have just, ladies and gentlemen, we just hired an unpaid intern for the last couple episodes of our show. Yeah. Would you please welcome to the Zoom, Gregor. Gregor, it's me. It's Gregor, the unpaid intern. Hey, Gregor. Thanks for uh, popping on the mic here. Um, And also thank you for taking time from your your busy class schedule to give us a hand around uh, the Zoom stew here. 
Um, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience a little bit about your background, what's interesting you, you know, kind of your, your dreams, your aspirations, and what you're hoping to bring to it's on the list. I go to UC Riverside, mm-hmm. and I drive up to L.A. Mm-hmm. every record day. Mm. And my aspirations are to be on the show. Mm. Well, you've made it, buddy. You you've made it right at the right at the the, the fifty the the ten yard line here. You've made it. Thank you for having me on. I'm going to go sit uh sit down now and rest my feet because I only get ten minutes of that a day. Okay. The thing that's about Greg hey Gregor, Orgis. thank you so much. Yeah, Gregor's great. By the Gregor's way, we don't great. pay him he anything, and he, yeah. we don't recomp his gas, but he is great. Yeah, it's. It, I hope he can find a place to sit, um, because it should be noted that Gregor is eight feet tall, uh, and very very yeah. thin, and yeah. he's like kind of hunched over in your apartment, uh, right now. Well, you know what we, you know what I just got for him, which is so. Let's just. I'm gonna toot my own horn. It was nice of me. I didn't have to get this for him. Yeah. You know how like in like army training where they have that coffin that's too small to sit down in but not big enough where you can fully stand up uh sure i got him one of those oh okay oh that's that was nice of you yeah that was really nice so at least at least he can rest his weary bones and he can go yeah oh gregor needs to sit and then he can go in this coffin basically that's not big enough for him yeah and that's probably fun for him that's probably that's probably why he comes honestly yeah, I got him a. Uh, it's it's in the mail right now, but I got him a a, a, a shiatsu massage chair, like just something that you can like t- kind of tape to the back. Because uh, okay, we yeah. agree. We uh, we agreed we were not going to spend more than twenty five dollars. So, oh, um, well, I got. I, I, I won't tell cool. you where I got it for less than twenty five dollars, but but I got it for less than twenty. Wish on wish dot com. Yeah, that's why it's taking so goddamn long. <laughs> 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 yeah, so that's why it's you're never going to get that, Gregor. Sorry, and you're fired. And you're fired. Also, I hate you. Um, that's. I mean, it, the, this so this album's so fucking good. It's like a memory play of old flames. You know, a collection of poems about love, loss, and heartbreak, and all that beautiful shit. It's the more you listen to it, I think the better it is. My favorite tracks are the first track, "Big Mike's Scratching," "Many Times," "The Dress," "Talk Down," "Rodeo Clown," and I love "Credits!" Exclamation point. I think yeah. that's a really fun way to end the album, especially how it cuts off like it like kind of leaves you hanging a little bit but in a way that i think is really effective what do you think about that track uh that one uh i i i'm, I'm with you on it now it took me until the third time to, the third listen to to really because i kind of thought that i was uh i had a uh a noah a sort of a noah uh, a noah's rubik's on that or a noah's uh goldberg a noah's is, rubik's <laughs> what is a noah's rubik's uh it was like it End it before the last track, kind of situation. But on on re- oh, okay. recent listen, recent listen, I came around to it. Excuse me. I I actually think this is the this is the way to end this one. I actually think that I actually could do without the song right before it, which is called what? End of record. I prefer credits to end of record. Sorry. Damn. All right. All right. Sorry. Fuck. And if you like this album and haven't explored any other. Dijon stuff have to recommend his singles from 2018 skin and Nico's red truck. I specifically fuck with Nico's red truck. I think that is great. And then he released an EP in 2020 and I'm getting the name of that right now. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe actually, maybe I have no fucking idea where it is or what it's called. I'll figure it out. Uh, but it's excellent as well. It's kind of a different vibe. Uh, but it's called, how do you feel about getting married? 
That's what it's called. Six songs from 2020. And the cover is a hand putting an engagement ring on an a, a seemingly a webbed hand. It's either like a frog or an alien or something. And it's fantastic. Uh, that's worth a listen as well. I am so excited that we get to live in a world where Dijon keeps making music. I think this yeah. guy's great. Mason, I don't actually have fast facts because there's just not actually a ton of info about this guy out there, to be yeah. totally honest with you. There's music writing articles from like the fader and pitchfork and shit but there's not a ton of just like info about him or this production so in lieu of that just go watch the 25 minute visual album opt by my friend adam hole and directed by larry karaszewski's son believe it or not oh no shit very cool yeah jack karaszewski is the director on that and it's excellent but do you have any final thoughts before we i guess i already spoiled my mercedes bible prayer but do you have any final thoughts on this one um no, I think I covered everything I wanted to say about this. I I will. Th- my, I think my final thought is um, definite. Uh, 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 give it more than one listen. <laughs> you know, really let it sort of. Because um, I think it is trying for something a little out of the 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 norm for what you're used to with with music like this, and it might take a little bit for it to settle in. There's some albums that you love from first listen from first note, and there's some that really grow with time. Um, and this is a latter one for at least me. Um, so if my word means anything to any listener on this pod, and why should it? But if it does, just give it more than one shot. And if you're not in by like shot two or three, then that's fine. You gave it an honest an honest game there. But uh, but uh, yeah, this is a a, a grower, not a shower. <laughs> this reward is bond. James Bond, Money Penny, come here and listen to Absolutely by Dijon. <laughs> come here, M. Listen to Rodeo Clown. <laughs> you expect me it's to my talk? favorite. You expect me to talk, Goldfinger? Ma- gold ma- gold no, Mr. Gold Bond, Mather. I expect you to listen to Dijon Absolutely by Dijon. <laughs> come here. What is this? Is it Q? Is there a character named Q? Yeah, Q, the quartermaster. Yeah. Q, the quartermaster. Q, come here. I want you to spank my bottom while I listen to many times, and I don't want you to stop until it's over. <laughs> it's a three-minute long interesting. spank. That's a long. That's a decent spank. It is. That's what he wants. That's an interesting character that we just came up with, <laughs> Sean Connery, who's into alt R and B. That's a very interesting character that we just came up with. I like it though. Do you he think did. he'd like Pioneer by David Lowry too? What do you think he'd have to say about that? Uh, well, James Bond has a uh, doesn't have a parent, so I think that he really needs he he. It might like uh, fill a a uh, a hole in his soul that he doesn't know needs to be uh, needs to be uh, uh, filled there. You know, like, David. Yes. Play me that Vimeo link one more time. I want to see the part where Will Oldham lays down in the bed. <laughs> and Miles Brooks stands above him. I'm getting into like Christopher Lee at that point. That's not even that's not even fucking. Sean Connery, rest in peace. Uh, I already gave you my Mercedes Viable Player's easy full recommend for me. Mason, what is who, what, what or which, or when is your Mercedes Viable Player? Uh, production on this one is really, uh, the production on this one gets my MVP. It's really layered, and it's really uh, detailed. It is very cool. There's these little, like, kind of just moments of, like, dialogue that, like, when you're listening that you can hear. Like, it sounds like people are, like, in the same room having a, a conversation. And it just kind of, like, adds to this, like, sort of, uh, uh, hazy sort of memory feeling that this album gives you, but it's an it, it's the the production on this I think is really 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 striking and really interesting. Uh, this was like I said a grower for me, so 
for a while I was like, I'm gonna give this one just maybe just a light little recommendation, but now it's like a pretty Whoa. strong, a pretty strong recommendation. Fuck it, I'll give it a full recommendation as well. Why not? This wow. one's really, really fucking good. Let's do it. Dude, Let's go. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm honestly shocked. I really did not. I thought, was, I thought you were gonna be like, and I was gonna be like, all right, <laughs> all right. So gonna, I'm, I'm gonna happy go to penguin hear that. mode. I was gonna go penguin mode on. Uh, <laughs> Penguin mode on my ass, yeah. on my white ass. Oh, please, penguin, put your cigar out in my ass, <laughs> Mason. But what if we? What I would love to produce a podcast for Sean James Bond, Sean Connery, Noah. Can you turn me up in the headphones, please? <laughs> I need it to be louder in my headphones. Whatever, who cares? Mason, we got hey. one more thing to talk about, and I know that you stand for this one, so what the fuck are we talking about next? Brother, we're talking about Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. We were talking about Walk That's Hard, right. the motherfucking Dewey Cox story. Let's fucking Has, go. Have these three things ever been talked about in the same breath ever? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, but that's what you get when you roll up uh, with your friends, too. It's on the, uh, the it's on the list diner. You get something that may not go together. Uh, you may not think goes well together, but... Holy moly! Is it is it oh is it such a treat when you get it on the chocolate plate? and pickles again? <laughs> and then you eat it. And you're, this is good. <laughs> this is actually really, this is actually really fucking good. Mm, yum yum yum. Falafel. That sounds actually disgusting. <laughs> yeah, that sounds actually that one actually does sound gross. Hot dog and cheese. That one sounds good actually. I think a lot of people might do that one actually. Yeah. Anyway, Mason, what's your fucking history with Walk Hard? I watched it. Um, I thought that this was a Letterboxd era first watch for me, but my research into my history with it on Letterboxd suggests it's a pre-Letterboxd. So I must have watched it. Wow. Uh, I must have watched it sometime in 2015. It would probably be my guess. And until this watch, and I've seen it probably now with this watch about a half a dozen times. Uh, not even counting the many times that I just like go back and rewatch clips whenever I just need a quick pick me up. But this is actually the first time that I have seen the theatrical cut of this movie. I've only no seen, way. Yeah, I'd only seen the director's cut because it's the one that I. Um. I actually, I, I'm going to be honest. I could not actually hear a single thing that you oh, said. Oh, let me that is not your fault. I uh, uh, I had this movie uh, downloaded on a hard drive, and it was the two hour oh. director's cut. Yeah, so I had actually not seen this movie as most of America, or not even most of America, but whoever saw it in theaters <laughs> in 2007. Yeah, all 330 million people going to see Walk Hard uh, on opening day. Yeah, um, but I. When I was in college, that was, like, in 2014, 2015, that's when I kind of you would start to get bubbles that, like, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story is the sort of, like, unheralded masterpiece of the era, of, like, its its era. And I definitely remember when this yeah. movie was coming out, because this was also a movie that I had downloaded on um, trailers, uh, like, on my video iPhone. Oh, yeah. like I just downloaded the trailer and watched it. Um and I just thought that the – and this was, like, kind of in the era where there were just a decent amount of parody movies coming out, like your epics movie. Totally. The, the, the Friedberg and uh, – Seltzer and Friedberg, uh, Friedberg movies, um, parodies. Uh, and Meet the Spartans. Yeah, Meet the Spartans. Um, Vampires suck. 
<laughs> which they do. Which they do. <laughs> which they do. Which they do. Um, um, but it came out in 2007, so I was in seventh grade, and this was an R-rated movie, so it wasn't like I could go see it in the theaters, and my parents weren't huge uh, contemporary comedy people, I think I've mentioned okay. on the show a couple times, so it wasn't like I could try to talk my dad or somebody into going to see this movie with me, even though I think I had probably an older cousin or two that really uh, stumped hard for this movie at the time, so it did take for me to get into college and hear, like, through word of mouth that this is a underappreciated movie to get me to um track it down however i tracked it down yes and it was an easy like really like like i always said earlier dijon is like a a grower this was a shower this is one that i like fell in love with and thought was so funny and so clever um from first watch and it really did it, it, it i i come back to it and i like to show it to other people um but you have a much more recent history with this, actually. That's true. You had not, when I, we had met, you had not seen Walk Hard, the Dewey, the Dewey Cox story. That is true. I did not watch this movie until March 30th, 2020, uh, which is, yeah, let's get some snaps going for that. So early, early lockdown, I threw this one on. And truthfully, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little off topic, but not completely off topic with this that era late 2000s early 2010s we did not appreciate how many good comedy movies came out in that time Mm -hmm. when it was happening Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we were spoiled because now of days mason now of days nothing (laughs) basically kaput Kaput by kaput by destroyer. Kaput. Yeah, wasting your uh, days chasing some girls. All right, looking for a good, a decent comedy at the Regal. Basically, basically, and whether I knew it at the time or not, these were the kinds of movies that got me interested in movies. Yeah, more or less, because I was a young boy. I'm younger than you by a fucking you know by mar- a millennia. A huge margin. By a millennia. I am the god emperor of podcasting. I'm a big old worm guy. I've lived for thousands of years. I'm hoarding all this spice. You know, let's 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 we we mention it every episode, but yes, I am younger That's true. than you. You're older than me. Um <laughs> and that's how you that's that's how you know that's how you know the fucking wor- brain worms are slipping in because you're so fucking old you think you're actually younger than me. So mm-hmm. I'll let you believe it. Um but I didn't watch this until March thirtieth of twenty twenty. And that era, you know, super bad, knocked up, 40-year-old virgin, role models, stepbrothers, Tropic Thunder, Talladega Nights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hit after hit after hit comedy movie coming out in that era. Adam McKay, Apatow, you know, David Wayne and company were, you know, getting to do their shit more or less. I think even Wet Hot American Summer was that decade as well, which is another all-time great comedy movie. Um, fucking amazing, you know, just amazing, mm. amazing, amazing era, and I was it gotten into movies because I wanted to see all that shit because it looked funny, and my parents wouldn't let me go most of the time, you know, because I was a young, I was a young stallion, I was a young buck just learning how to harness my power, learning learning how to harness my energy so I could defeat yeah. Mason one day. Um, and the person who told me about this movie, who reminded me about this movie, actually is our good friend Chris Schlockian. Hell yeah. Uh, we were driving around. I think I've talked about this actually on the podcast before. We were on Western trying to go to H Mart, and I made that really scary left turn. Do you remember me talking about this? Yeah, somewhat, yeah. 
and I made this really scary left turn because we there's two H Marts on Western in LA. There are, and yeah. only one of them has that like food court area that's like part of the bigger mall. And we were trying to go to that. Yes. 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 So we were trying to go to that, and we had to go through the H Mart parking lot. And he was like, "Never do that scary left turn again." And I said, "No problem. You're never going to be in this car again, so it doesn't matter." And also, a global pandemic's about to happen in like a whole month, so it's going to fuck everything up. Um, but he was telling me, "No, walk hard's actually super good." And I'm like, "Oh, really? It didn't look good when I was yeah. fucking ten or whenever I was ten years old when this movie came out." And he's like, "No, it actually is really good, and it's worth your time." And I said, oh, "Okay, great." Filed that away for never. Just kidding, because on March 30th, 2020, I watched it, and I was amazed at how fucking funny this movie is, especially because it's Jake Kasdan who directed it, which is wild as fuck to me still. This is such a good movie, and I don't think of Jake Kasdan as having this like in him, but he crushes it, bro. Yeah, it's so... Because what else did he... I, I should have looked this up. He what did else? the TV set yeah. the year before, I think, with David Duchovny. He did uh, Orange County, actually. He did Orange County, a oh. movie we've talked about on this show. Okay. And I think he did one other thing, and I can't remember what it is, but this was like his fourth movie or something like that. Yeah. Uh, produced Jumanji. Uh, let me look. I mean, that's what he does now. Yeah. He just does, you know, Jumanji shit. He did Sex Tape, I think, right? Uh, oh, he directed Juman. Yeah, he directed the Jumanjis. Uh, he directed. He's mostly a TV guy. It looks like he did do sex tape. Uh, and bad, bad teacher, teacher with Cameron Diaz. Yes, yes. bad teacher is what he did. It was his follow up to this. Um, I remember seeing that in theaters actually, and thinking that was okay. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see. Thought it was bad a sequel teacher, to Bad Santa. Or, yeah, I didn't so. see Bad Teacher. Um, so I can't. I can't speak to it. I just okay. know that there's like there, there's like a dry humping scene between her and Justin Timberlake. Yes, from my I've only seen it the one time, but yes, you're right, you're correct. Yeah, I don't see. I don't. Not a lot gets through this thick skull here, but I feel here there's a dry humping scene in a movie that's not even good. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> fucking go good, for it, I man. Say. I don't know for sure, but if it's I'm just like, oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> there's a there's a reason why I think that this movie was not fully appreciated at the time. I think there's three main reasons, and I wrote them down. Are you ready for these three reasons? Yeah. A we didn't know how good we had it with comedy movies at the time, and it just got lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Reason B. This movie's kind of ahead of its time in terms of what it's trying to do comedy-wise, I think. Yep. You know what I mean? It's pretty yeah. fucking smart. And a lot of those movies are funny, but I don't know if I would say they're like working in the same way that this movie is, because this movie's really... This movie's got layers to it. <laughs> we can go yeah. into those layers. And C... Uh, yeah, like I said before, it's pretty smart. And other movies were not doing shit that was as smart. And Bush was still president. <laughs> and Bush, too, was still president at the yeah. time this movie came out. Yeah. Um, so those are the three reasons. This movie's fucking laugh-out-loud funny. Mason, I'll say it. I've said it once, and if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. John C. Riley is the most versatile actor <laughs> who has ever graced this planet. He is unbelievable in this, and he just can do anything. He's so fucking good it's crazy he's uh incredible in this and it does suck that he's like he he is such a good character actor and such a good support when he shows up in movies anything from chicago to um magnolia 
and even like his when I saw Licorice Pizza for the first time, when he just his voice as Fred yes. in, in Licorice Pizza got everybody Fred, in the theater. Fred Munster. As Fred Munster got everyone in the theater to hoot and holler and applaud. <laughs> like just he doesn't even he just says, Yes, I'm the real Fred Munster. yes, I'm the real Fred People Munster. shooting breast milk out of yeah. their out of their nipples, just fucking yeah. Full clo- like the like the like a basketball player's warm up jumper. I'm turning to the people next to me, friend, stranger, doesn't even matter. We're all just full tongue making out, full French. <laughs> <laughs> and Jennifer's body is happening in the theater. Just everyone's getting each other pregnant, and everyone's freaking out. Exactly. That's what happens. In it turns into a Gaspar yeah. Noé movie whenever John C. shows his shows his face <laughs> on screen. <laughs> I hope not. That guy, that guy sucks. Um, but also parody movies don't exist anymore. Why? Well, this is the thing. Probably because of this movie. Well, I was thinking about this because this is the first time that I've seen. There's a half hour difference between the version that I am used sure. to watching and the one that I watched for this movie, and they are in in instances like this. I do tend to tip on the watch the director's cut version um, because, and this is a, a thought that I had watching this, and then. Prior to going to see the Batman on Friday night, I was hanging out with my friend and his girlfriend um, at their place, and they had just been watching, like, 30 Rock. So we just, like, kind of sat down, had a little wine, and watched 30 Rock, then went to the movie. And 30 Rock is, like, a, a kind of comedy that is was, like, really, like, kind of daring for its time because there's so much of that show is just NBC poking fun at itself. And... Yep. Um, I'm actually not too familiar with the main two points of parody for Walk Hard, which are, of course, Walk the Line, the James Mangold, Johnny yeah. Cash movie, and Ray, the Taylor, Taylor Hack- Hackford. Taylor Hackford, yeah. yes. Taylor Hackford, yeah. uh, Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles. Two movies that did seem like, because for a while there was like this kind of uh, movie biopic thing like and, and and it was this exact fucking structure like this movie just looked looked at the skeleton of those movies and it was like all right bet let me let, let's just make <laughs> let's just let's just play it fucking straight here um there's like subplots in uh i was looking at the differences between the two versions um because i didn't have time to watch the version that i'm familiar with so i just watched the hour and a half one um, and there's like little differences. Um, they play up, um, before, uh, spoiler, she falls out of the window. They play up the fact that Margot Martindale actually has vertigo. Like her character has vertigo. That's funny. That's pretty good. Um, there's an entire, like, uh, an Dewey Cox gets married for a third time. Who's not, and her character's not in this, oh. in the version at all. Who yeah. is it? Uh, I forget. Um, uh, okay. there, there's don't things worry. like that, yeah, and it's like it's it's like things like that that like I that don't that that um kind of filled out the 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 here's the point that I was going to get to. The director's cut is very much more in the realm of like a two hour long biopic, you know, like it's kind of taking up the same sort of like psychic space more or less. But it is just straight sort of lampooning, like, the structure. And not even just the structure, but, like, sure. the personality of uh, – the personality types of, um, of like, musicians. Of biopics. Yeah, biopics. Or, like, yeah. or like, cele- or like, like celebrity – or, like, musicians during Famous this, guy. Like, famous guy. Or, like, per- well, specifically musician biopics. Yes. Because the thing yes. that, like uh, – uh, Love and Mercy is kind of the only good example of this because it's, like – 
it, it respects that the artistic process is something that's inherent to the creator, to the musician's soul, and isn't something that is like um, that just like comes like in moments of divine inspiration. Like some of my favorite, some of my favorite parts in this movie are just like when they're really laying it on thick with like how ridiculous biopics make the creative process thing where it's like if you like when john michael higgins goes if you if you what yes. did you say exactly you, you know it's exactly? something to the effect i don't know what he says exactly but it's something to the effect of like i am so sick and tired of you i want you to get out of here but if for some reason you can think of something in the next 15 seconds that really blows my mind yeah maybe i'll consider it and then yeah. all of a sudden he's singing his hits walk hard He's singing know. Walk Hard, and then his mu- like his, his backup musicians can like perfectly follow along and can perfectly yes. harmonize. Just and follow then, my lead, yeah. boys. <laughs> and then it goes to Jack McBrayer in the in the as a radio DJ, like this hot singer. Dude, yeah. The joke where John Michael Higgins and all the rabbis are doing the big <laughs> dance in the fucking control room is Mazel so Tov, fucking Mazel good. Lahayim, what's their name? <laughs> it's those two, and then another guy, and I can't remember, yeah. but it's Martin Starr. Uh, Harold Ramis. Yeah. And I'll fucking just fucking look it up. Jesus. Do you remember who the, the other I guy is? I don't know who the third is, but then I love that Simon Kind Simon Kinberg pops up at the end as Dreidel Laheim. <laughs> yes, I as the son. As the son. I think Simon Kinberg, he really like he really surprised me in um Annette. I think he's kind of an underrated actor. And it might just be because he was like swallowed by the he was getting that big bang theory money for so long that he couldn't Absolutely like, he was. Yeah, he was like really securing the big bang theory bag, and now that he like well, when he showed up in this, he's so fucking good and a serious man too. Um, uh, also, get, yeah, <laughs> Frankie Muniz is in this movie as Buddy Holly, which is insane. That is crazy, uh, but right? This, I think this is what I was, this is the point I was going to say. I think our culture is so different. Fifteen years after this movie was made, that it's like unless Marvel Absolutely. wanted to make a two and a half hour long movie parroting itself, you would not see something like this, or you won't see something like this. Um, because like the thing, the thing that's so cool about 30 rock is it's just like, there's half an hour in NBC's schedule where they're just like making fun of them fucking selves. And, uh, not a lot of, the only other like, kind of comparable thing is like the Simpsons when they would like fuck around, uh, with Fox, like in Fox. Early run. Yeah. yeah. And now like the, uh, uh, like Disney has absolutely no sense of humor about itself. You're not going to get this sort of thing from no. Disney. It's all brand management, brand polishing. And, but there's not really any other like kind of media with like this amount of like recognize a, like that's like that's this recognizable that you could parody i don't think at least well maybe, that's maybe a, it's, you an, could. it's an interesting could, point it's, yeah it's an interesting point i actually thought actually kind of almost the opposite where this movie didn't necessarily it didn't do well financially when it came out in 2007 yeah but apparently critically it did all you know for what this movie is it did pretty good yeah. critics are always not favorable to comedy for whatever yeah. reason for the most part uh, but it did fairly well with critics, I guess. And I actually had the thought, maybe this would do well if it came out now. But I don't I, know if it would based on what you're saying. I think that's a good point. I But yeah. who's to say? Well, there was the thing. What put this movie, I think, on its radar, the, my radar, even more so, I'm just remembering now. There's a tweet by, I think it was Abraham Reisman, who was a writer for Vulture, might still be. Um, but he said something to the effect of, like, there's an argument to be made that Walk Hard is, like, the most cutting bit of, like, criticism in the last 15 or 20 years because, like, it came out and then this entire genre of movie basically disappeared. More or less, like, 
that kind of biopic and then also that kind of parody movie disappeared too, which is like two things disappeared. And I got to be honest with you, Mason. I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for those biopic movies, those really Oscar Beatty like biopic movies, mostly because I just feel like nostalgic toward them because I was a pretty little kid when like Ray and Walk the Line and all that shit was coming out. So it kind of makes me feel like little starry-eyed when I think about movies like that, to be honest with you, in that way. Also, the other guy was Phil Rosenthal. He's the third rabbi, which is kind of weird that he's in this movie, too, because isn't he most known for creating Everybody Loves Raymond? He's not really an actor, right? Except for now he is, kind of. Yeah, he has his, like, travel show now on Netflix, but I think he was mostly a comedy writer before this. Um, And it's Harold Ramis as Laheim, Phil Rosenthal as Molotov, and Martin Starr, Huge. Martin Stark gets a Zevon from me. There's this movie is literally filled to the brim with Zevon people as well. Uh, who Robinson. plays Schmendrick? Yes, uh, Karen Robinson is Bobby Shad. Kristen Wiig is Edith. Rance Howard is in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's the preacher. He's so good. Uh, Margot Martindale is Ma Cox. Raymond J. Berry is Pa Cox. The little boys who <laughs> play uh, like the kids versions. Yeah, yeah, so funny. They're so good. I love those guys. Those guys. We, I think we could uh, just have a podcast that's just us. We, and you, you didn't even mention maybe my favorite performance in this movie, which is Tim Meadows. Oh, he's unbelievable. This Tim is the Meadows best Tim Meadows has ever been. Is so fucking good in this. <laughs> you my don't favorite want no part of this, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Ricky Bobby, what's the fuck? I think my favorite line, possibly in the entire movie, is Tim Meadows saying, This is the next logical step for you. <laughs> I think that might be my favorite line in the entire movie. It's love, so fucking what, funny that he says. One of my favorite that. small moments in this is when he's in, uh, he, it's the cheapest drug there is. Like, he's almost <laughs> breaking there. It's the cheapest drug there is. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it makes sex better. <laughs> you want no part of this, Dewey Cox. Uh, you know what? Nope, John you turned your bad thoughts into good thoughts. <laughs> Another really underrated small moment that I think is funny is when uh, Dewey Cox tells the monkey to go fuck itself. I think that's so funny. That he just this is another thing. This movie has in common with 30 Rock. Almost every single fucking second of this movie is the funniest. Is so fucking funny. Um, yeah, it's kind of unreal how they put this movie together. It's like, Dave Krumholtz is in this movie, too. Dave Krumholtz gets a Zivon. Yeah, uh, Marvin Schwartzbaum, is that his name? <laughs> uh, great question. I'll figure it out. Ian Roberts is apparently in this movie. I actually don't he even was? remember Ian Roberts. Oh, Ian, Ian Roberts? Roberts? I don't one of the founders gonna... of UCB. Schwartzberg. Schwartzberg gets it, yeah. Um, Jane Lynch is in this movie yes! as Gail the TV reporter, and she's so fucking good. She's so fucking good. Jenna her. Fisher, uh, we didn't mention uh, <laughs> as the. Yeah, I mean every everyone. Yeah. Chris Parnell, Matt Besser. Oh my god! Yeah. As um, the rest of the band. Um, Mason, though, I will say. So I said I am. A, I do have a soft spot in my heart for those biopics. Do I think that they're the best version of what a biopic can be? No, but I still right. have a soft spot for that really Oscar Beatty shit. But. What's an interesting thing to think about, and I have some examples here to sort of get us going. <coughs> Excuse me. And it, t- it reached my mind because I just saw Raging Bull again. The best oh, biopics yeah. are the ones that you don't think about as biopics, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they kind of just tell the story of this person without doing what they do 
in Walk Hard. And some of those examples are Raging Bull, American Splendor, Ed mm-hmm. Wood, mm-hmm. Amadeus, mm-hmm. The Social Network. Can mm-hmm. you think of any others that like really hit it out of the park as the quote unquote unconventional biopic? Uh, not off the dome right now. Think about it. Because yeah. also you've got Mishima, which is great. That's a mm-hmm. very interesting biopic. Uh, Love and Mercy, as you said before. And then I would say All That Jazz actually kind of fits the bill as well. Yeah, that one's interesting because it's one of the, like, uh, it's kind of like an eight and a half riff where it's like a very veiled like autobiography. Uh, I guess you could probably throw eight and a half in there. Uh, even, uh, uh, you could probably throw eight and a half in there, I was going to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess All That Jazz does kind of fit under that under that category. Spencer, I guess, technically, right? Spencer that just came out. Oh, yeah. Pablo Lorraine likes to do that. Um, Naruto's a little more elliptical and kind of uh, a little more elliptical and kind of has a little more fun with the, the form there. But Jackie, yeah, certainly. Um, but yeah. those movies, those kinds of movies where it's not really like this biopic, like exactly what Dewey Cox is parodying, those movies are, I think, a lot of them are amazing. Like, I don't think of The Social Network as a Mark Zuckerberg biopic. It tells the story of this incident, but you learn so much about this real guy. Like, that shit's great to me. Ed Wood, same thing. Ed Wood's maybe one of the best examples of that, I think. I I agree. I haven't seen Ed Wood since I was in college, but it it, it sits very fondly in my my heart here. That's the one thing about this movie that I really like is that it is such a complete creation of of Dewey Cox. Um, You know, he is a complete character, and it does kind of... Oh, yes! Yes, you actually do feel for him in this yeah. movie when things aren't going well. And that might be actually the most impressive thing is that it's chock full of jokes. The tone is so razor sharp between being like just goofy and crazy and funny. But I genuinely feel for Dewey in these moments where he's like being led astray and his dad basically being like, you the wrong kid died. He literally tells him the wrong, wrong Every time that they, you died. see the dad and he brings up the fact that the wrong kid <laughs> this is a particularly bad case of somebody being sawed in half speak english doc we ain't scientists <laughs> yes speak english doc we ain't scientists is so good when they start punching each other at the talent show when he's playing for the first time it's this such sweet like teenage love song yeah everyone just starts fucking punching the shit out of each other yeah. in the audience that made me laugh so goddamn hard uh but i think that's the most impressive thing about this movie is just how you genuinely do care about dewey's story yeah. You know, aside from the fact that it's one of the funniest movies of all time. That, to yeah. me, is the most impressive thing. I think another actually. really another really impressive thing, and this is, I think, more apparent in the director's cut, but the how the strength of the songs that are in this. Um, totally. The songs are really, really good. And in the director's cut, that's, an, like, aside from just, like, small plot things or different cuts, they really do spend, I, I feel, a little more time... Um, like uh, uh, with the music and and showcasing the music and making it more of a musical, because um, I kind of think that uh, maybe it's just because I'm I'm not as familiar with the theatrical cut, but I kind of categorize the theatrical cut as like a comedy more so than a musical, and the director's cut is I think maybe a little more of a music biopic where interesting it feels like like the music is weaved in in a way where it's like if we are it like it feels like if. Dewey, like, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story kind of feels like a broadcast from another universe where Dewey Cox actually existed, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um... <laughs> yes. Uh, 
and it's that's such a difficult thing to do just with any movie um uh and particularly like with a comedy and particularly with a parody where you know um like the other like kind of like parody movie that's on this level is like airplane probably and that was just like taking a very like it was lampooning the broader like sort of disaster movie but it was taking a specific movie which is this movie zero hour um and like just taking taking that like sort of script and that plot and then just like kind of having a little bit of fun with it but they were also like parodying uh you know the airplane movies at the time or airport movies or something at the time um but that the unfortunate thing the unfortunate thing about airplane it is really funny yeah. It does that aspect of it doesn't hold up as much because the further and further away we get exactly. from that yeah. time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this is still new enough, and I actually think stronger in that lampooning I, of the genre. Yeah, you I know agree. that I it holds up way more. And I'm not saying Airplane doesn't do a good job because it does. But if you showed that to someone for the first time now, they'd be like, "Okay, that's funny," but like maybe they wouldn't appreciate it on the level that it originally. Yeah. came out as you know which well, is unfortunate because it's a great movie it is there's a lot of really just funny jokes that in airplane that don't require you to have any sort of familiarity with disaster movies or anything like it still works as a comedy but you totally. as an audience member in 20 whenever you're watching it don't have that context that's so essential to making that thing like sing like it did probably for audiences 40 years ago or whenever it came whenever it came out um but uh yeah, yeah. Yup. But yeah, Mason, I think I've kind of said what I need to say about this. I mean, if you haven't seen this movie and you like movies from this time period, or even if you hate movies from this time period, this is so fucking good, you just have to see this movie if you haven't seen it. And if you haven't seen it in a while, it's on Amazon Prime as of this recording. Mm-hmm. Throw it on. Have some fun. Have Watch fun. Dewey say fuck you to a monkey. When the monkey is so cute, too. I love that guy. Yeah. I love... Um, He's cute. Uh, I could just, like, go through the list of just, like, scene by scene and just say how much I, I love each of them. I love the the sort of, like, Brian Wilson sort of parody in the middle there where he yes. has a huge orchestra and just writing just, inc- like, incomprehensible music. Uh, Brian Wilson's music is and the Beach Boy stuff from from that time that they're lampooning is some really incredible and impressive music, some songs. But it is like kind of the the, the ostentatiousness of that production. You know, it's it's kind of funny. You can have some fun with it. It's funny. He yeah. was going buck wild and kind of crazy with it, but the music's pretty awesome. Ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, the Beatles scene where they go to India and they oh more or less God. kind of break up the Beatles is I so good. I didn't talk. I just Paul Rudd's mouth as John Lennon. <laughs> just just I can't I can't even do it. I don't know how he does it, but just how he says imagine is so, <laughs> so funny. So fucking funny. Yeah. I'm trying to find who I'm trying to. I don't think you, I don't think they were credited in the movie. So I'm trying to find it's Jack Black as. Paul McCartney? Yeah, Jack Black as Paul McCartney, Paul Rudd as John Lennon, Jason Schwartzman as... Jason Schwartzman as George Harrison. Uh, right. No, Jason um, uh, uh, Jason Lee as George Harrison. Here it is. Where is it? Jason Schwartzman as Ringo Starr, and yeah. yes, Jason... Is it? I can't fucking tell, to it's be honest It's Jason with you. Lee. It's uh, I'm a Mac as... Uh, not Jason Lee. What's his fuck? Oh, Justin, Justin Long. Lee. Justin, Justin Long. Long. Justin Long. That's yes. it. That's it. You're right. Mr. You're I'm 100% Mac. Long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Mac, and I'm a PC, and I'm in the Beatles... I'm in the Beatles as well. Oh, come here. We're going to do Strawberry Fields, Mason. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do it. Is there anything else 
feel like we, uh, like we crushed it. I, I want to say that uh, for as silly as this movie is, when it gets to It's a Beautiful Ride, I get a little choked up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the magic of the movie. Yeah. You are it's laughing your little, little dick about off. make a little music every day till you die. It's a beautiful <laughs> that that line on that when I watched that movie on when I watched the movie on Thursday that line got through to me that particular line got through to me something that I was like because I was really deep in in the fucking pits uh, that day and then it said when I heard it's about make a little music every day till you'll die I'm like yeah you're right it is make a little music every day till you die that's right Dewey that's exactly right yeah that's the magic that's the magic of walk hard ultimately is that by the end you're like. Yeah, he deserves that Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. And the fact that they wrap around as that's the opening of the film to come back to that moment and you realize, like, oh, fuck, he's ancient. Yeah. He's ancient. Dewey Cox has got to think Cox about his whole th- life before he goes on stage. <laughs> Dewey Cox died three minutes after this performance. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Such a good punch. Enough. Such a fucking, oh, God, yeah. Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story is a 2007 American comedy film directed by Jake Kasdan and written by Kasdan and co-producer Judd Apatow. Released in North America on December 21st, 2007, it received positive reviews from critics but was a complete bomb, only grossing $20 million against a $35 million budget. Think about that, though. A comedy getting a $35 million studio budget. This was yeah. released by, I believe, Columbia, I think. Uh, it, was a Columbia, it was a Columbia, I think Columbia and Regency and one other production company, but released by Sony. Well, Columbia. Well, Columbia is Sony. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, But yeah, it's since become a cult classic. The film portrays fictional versions of Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, Elvis Presley, and the Beatles. Some other artists uh, appear as themselves, including Eddie Vedder at the very end and Ghostface Killa. And musicians spoofed are Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan, Ray Charles, David Bowie, Roy Orbison, Meatloaf, Queen, Jim Morrison, The Cars, Tim McGraw, Brian Wilson during his smile period, Stevie Wonder, and Michael Jackson, just to name a few. The photograph on the poster is based on the famous Joel Brodsky photo of Jim Morrison, which was used on the Best of the Doors album cover. Dewey Cox's audition, at which he sings That's Amore, is a reference to Elvis Presley. He showed up at his audition for Sun Records, wanting to seem like Dean Martin. Sun owner Sam Phillips refused to record with him until he and the three members of the Sun House Band started jamming on Arthur Crudup's That's All Right, Mama, which became Elvis's first record. Mason... Have you ever been to Sun Records in Memphis before? I haven't ever been to Memphis before. That's on my list. You would love Memphis. Memphis is fucking awesome. I know I would. And I had the pleasure of going to Sun Records last summer. It's actually insanely small. Yeah. That's kind of the amazing thing is how small it is and how old it is. It's just a storefront basically, right? More or less with like a basement. Like basically that's exactly what it is. And then, you know, I'm in there with my group and I'm like, fuck. Literally crazy how many, like, legends have just been in this room with, like, before they were probably even legends, actually, a lot of them. Just that photo of, like, the million-dollar quartet, like, all around the piano. Memphis is a great city, and Sun Records is absolutely worth, I think it's, like, I don't want to say what price it is and have it be wrong, but I think it was, like, 15 or 20 bucks to take the tour. Oh, that's not, that's, and it's that's nothing. Yeah, it was, it, it's not expensive to take the tour of Sun Records, is all I'm trying to say. So it's absolutely worth it. Memphis is so awesome. Top-selling singles... Charts shows Dewey's fictional song Walk Hard at number four. The three songs ahead of it are You, You, You by the Ames Brothers, No Other Love by Perry Como, and P.S. I Love You by the, by the Hilltoppers, which were all actual hits. 
last but not least, the extended version on home video, American Cox, the unbearably long, self-indulgent director's cut, runs two hours long as opposed to the theatrical cut at one hour, 36 minutes. Mm -hmm. Mason, who, what, which, or when is your Mercedes Valuable player, and do you recommend Walk Hard? You know, this is so tough because... um Old, like things that were either new to me being brought on the show or things that I had seen before bringing us on the show, this might – this is in the conversation for my favorite thing we've ever covered, album, movie, Damn. anything. So – Of all 100 and – what is this, 107? Yeah. Episode 107? Yeah. Damn. Off the Dome, it's, it's in the conversation, at least the top three, I think, of just favorite things we've ever – I love this so, so much this movie so much um my gut is saying give the mvp to tim meadows just because i think every that that performance that he gives is just so fucking funny it's on the level of like great sort of the the, it's on the level of like richard jenkins's performance in um stepbrothers which is my other favorite sort of um comedic supporting performance from this movie but if i give it to him then it's like also like i'm just gonna give my mercedes valuable player to walk hard the Dewey Cox story. That's kind of cheating, but it's just I don't know what else to do it is, because but I you have, have to so do many favorite fucking things in this movie. It's hard to pick one thing that encapsulates how much I love this movie. And uh, so I'm just going to give it to walk hard the Dewey Cox story. Can I make a suggestion about what you could give your MVP to? I okay. I I, I I'm I'm making space for the suggestion. I'm making space. That's good. Hey, thanks for coming down off your fucking high horse and listening to some peon like me for a second. Um, Mason, uh, you could give it to just the, the like, sh- the, the, the walk hardness, I guess. I don't know. Just the fact that this movie is doing what it's doing, I yeah. guess. Like, I don't know how else to sum it up other than that. You know what, actually, I get is. what you're saying. What is it, My baby? Mercedes Valuable Player to Making a Little Music Every Day Till You Die, and it's a beautiful ride. There we go. That's what I'll do. Goddamn. Goddamn. Poem MVP for me, John C. Riley is Dewey Cox again. I think he's the most versatile actor of all time. Uh, that's just how I feel. And then that script by Kasdan and Apatow is so unbelievably good. It's like so unbelievably amazing how much they're able to get in. And like I said, I think the most impressive thing about this movie is how funny it is and how genuinely like laugh out loud funny it is and how weird it can be, but you also care about Dewey. You care yeah. about that. You care about him. You care about what's happening in his world. And that, to me, is the marvel of a film. Easy, 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 full recommend. Such a great movie. And Mason, that's all she wrote, brother. Yo, podcast. Yo, that's all she fucking, that's all she podcasted, bro. That's it. We did it. You, we did it. We did it. Send us an email. Send us good emails. Everybody wants to. The number two, get on the list at gmail.com. Follow, like Dustin did today. Mm-hmm. You're still banned from the show. Follow us on Twitter at It's On The List Pod and follow us on Instagram at It's On Underscore The List. You follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well. You also follow me on Letterboxd at Moen Archer. You can listen to my favorite podcast, my other show, podcast about people's favorite things. It's on the hiatus. Check out the back catalog. I'll plug him because he joined us last last week for about five or ten minutes and he caught, came up today. Go check out the episodes Chris Chalakian's on. He was on episode 9, where I talked to him about the National Hockey League and the New York Rangers, which is his favorite hockey team. As well as episode 48, where Chris T. and Jake Ellenbogen of Everything Now 
We answer some fan mail, some grab yeah. bag questions. Yeah. Very fun episode. Very, very fun episode to record. And thank you if you actually submitted good questions to that, because I was very worried that there were not going to be enough things to go off, but we actually had too much. So really good problem to have. That's all I'll plug for now. Mason, as always, take us home. Country roads. Ooh, home stretch. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at hotdogdbicky. Dbicky, the uh, the actor, and hotdog the food. Uh, you can follow the link to the uh, Teespring in the description. Uh, the link in the description on both of those profiles to buy a T-shirt, a sticker, whatever you want of the manifesto. All beer should be one dollar. Help us spread the word on that and send me a little bit of money. Uh, you can find me also on The Barn, a podcast about The Shield, and uh, wherever fine books are sold. Folks, we will close out the show by saying, as we always do, tell someone you love them this week, do something that you love this week, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There you go again, head low, putting on a show again. It's the holiday. It always ends this way You can't take that pressure off you just to put it on me Talking to your friends on the phone Airing our dirty laundry with strawberry, raspberry, candlelight, satellite, television, x-ray vision What's it gonna take for you to listen? Well, you can change your mind now, but you can't change your decision You can change your mind now, but you can't change your decision Cause I, I don't really wanna talk about it shit you're smoking reefers yeah of course we are can't you smell it no sam i can't come on dewey join the party no dewey you don't want this get out of here you know what i don't want no hangover i can't get no hangover it doesn't give you a hangover well i'll get addicted to it or something it's not habit forming oh okay well i don't know i don't want to overdose on it. You can't OD on it.
It's not gonna make me want to have sex, is it? It makes sex even better. Sounds kind of expensive. It's the cheapest drug there is. Hmm. You don't want it. I think I kind of want it. <laughs> okay, but just this once. Come on in. 